college football uh, world continues to turn. There are headlines to get to with starting quarterbacks being named in the SEC. Ben, there's some news, at least in terms of a timetable for potential college football expansion uh, with uh, realignment out west. We'll get to that. We'll also talk Braves. That was a wild game against the Yankees last night. The Braves lose. Some controversy involved. We'll chat with Ben Ingram of the Braves Radio Network. We will talk Georgia Clemson with former uh, dog offensive lineman Chris Burnett. And D. Orlando Ledbetter will join us to talk Falcons as we look ahead to the transition from the preseason to the regular season. But Ben, apparently uh, in the near future, we're going to get some sort of an update. We were talking about this in the show meeting from the Pac-12 in terms of conference expansion potentially. Now, does that mean we're going to stay where we are? Does that mean we have a couple of teams that we're interested in? Does that mean we've basically already kind of put something in in motion like we saw with the SEC? Don't know. Um, I don't know in today's college landscape how much kind of uh, direct geographical location matters because I know you would think, oh, Pac-12, they got to stay somewhere on the – on the West Coast, could they be looking at other teams? And if the Pac-12 does make a move, does that result in a domino effect for the Big Ten, for the ACC, on the heels of the uh, alliance announced yesterday? BJ, I think it shows that, I mean, as much as everybody trying to downplay the seismic shift of what uh, the SEC did at Oklahoma and Texas, you see the ripple effect, right? You see the difference in adding two and then trying to decide who do we add? Because we, we heard a big announcement yesterday with the alliance and the, and the, and the team that and the conference that was left out, you know, what's the Big 12 or whatever's left of the Big 12 at this point. So now it's, are they, are, is the Pac-12 pulling from the Big 12? Are they pulling from other big name teams? Because these are, because I mean, I, I just think that when you think about what the Pac-12 is doing, we don't – with so many different voices, with so many different people coming out saying they want to do this and want to do that, I think what the Pac-12 is doing is saying, look, until we really know what's going on with the alliance, we have to protect our brand first. So let us show that we are willing to add – because I think geographic location and being able to get a, a whole different uh, you know, fan base watching your games is what they're doing. I mean, because it used to be if you hear Southeast – you're in the Southeast. You hear ACC, you're in that. No. I mean, when I hear ACC, big cities. When I hear SEC, I used to be, you know, the Floridas and Georgias. Now we in Missouri, Texas. So I hey, think. Hey, and Missouri, and Missouri's in the SEC East, and Auburn right there on the Georgia borders in the SEC West. So I, I, I think what's happening is the SEC moved so swiftly, even though it took a year. And it was, and they did it. They did it, you know, swiftly and smoothly. Two things that you're not gonna say is going on with the Pac-12. So I, I just, I just think that for the Pac-12, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see, right, BJ, because there are some big names with no home right now, right? Oklahoma State doesn't have a home. Baylor doesn't have a home. Well, you know, assuming the Big Twelve, assume, right, assume, right, assume, and, 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 and here's the quote in terms of kind of the ripple effect. Uh, this is from a uh, George Klevkoff. Uh, the the commissioner of the Pac-12, quote, will announce a decision on whether or not we're going to be looking at expansion before the end of the week. That decision has has been run on a parallel path to the conversations with, uh, and it says Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren and ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips and the Big Ten and the ACC. So do you kind of take from that that whatever the Pac-12 announces it's considering or is looking at is going to be with a similar vision or kind of in conjunction with what the Big Ten and the ACC are looking at. Do you do you buy all that? I do, but unfortunately, 
it doesn't it doesn't show a lot of confidence in the Big Twelve or the ACC because if the Pac twelve moves, that means the ACC and that means the ACC and the Big Ten have to pick from what's left. I rather I rather jump out there first, and I don't I'm not really understanding BJ the hesitation of announcements. Like you got an alliance, and I don't even know what that was yesterday. Like nobody's really saying, yeah, we got an alliance, but it's still about the Pac twelve, or it's still about the Big Ten, it's still about the ACC, it's still about our students and our core, and we're gonna do a lot of you know we're gonna do it's it, yesterday was more like an announcement for the student-athlete engagement or involvement compared to what we think, BJ, is football, basketball, the two main sports. But I think now they're scrambling to save face. Because if I'm the Pac-12, I'm like, do we got to say something? Because we're not talking to the current players. We're talking to the future players that saying, well, dude, why would I pick y'all when y'all don't even want to commit to the – are y'all in the alliance or not? We are. So y'all going to be playing Clemson? Not this year. Like, like – what what does that mean? So yeah, BJ, the Pac-12 commissioner is saying, look, we rather go first because if I'm not mistaken, the Pac-12 was the last team we, in 2020 to decide when they were going to play. I think it went SEC, ACC, Big 12, Big 10. So I, this is why BJ, I do radio for a living because to be able to try to get any type of you know continuity with these with these people is crazy. It's short. once again, Greg Sankey got more popcorn. With his feet up, looking and saying, "Look, look at this." It was crazy enough yesterday, BJ, when you said, "This looks like a nothing burger." I don't know what the alliance is, and today they don't. All of them seem to be operating individually instead of collectively, trying to do what's best for them first. Because here's the thing, BJ, I'm gonna say this: some of these commissioners, this might be their lasting impression. They might not make it through this. So some of them say, "At least let me try to leave this thing in a good situation for whomever might." Whoever my predecessor is, at least I won't be giving them a mess. Well, you had the alliance yesterday, and we're still kind of processing what that is. You have the 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 announcement, I guess, that the Pac-12 is going to uh, uh, at least release or talk about what their plans are by the end of the week in a couple of days. And all of this is both kind of directly tied together, indirectly tied together. So there's that with uh, the college football realignment expansion stuff. You mentioned a, a nothing burger. I wanted to say this, uh, you know, because of you and Cam, and I, and I, and I can't remember if Christian uh, uh, is a cheese guy or not. If I'm getting the nothing burger, it has cheese on it. All right, so I wanted to address that right at right at the start of the show. You're going to get a plain nothing burger, right? Oh, I, uh, I get I get I get uh, I get pickles. I get, I get I get you know I get some tomatoes. I get some onions. I just, ketchup. I just don't want no cheese. I'm just saying. What? Oh my God, Cam! You know, Cam. Let me tell you something, Cam. If you can, either you're going to get no cheese. If you're getting blue cheese, Cam, you ain't riding with me. No, that's, that's Christian. Christian's saying all the cheese. <laughs> he's got he's, he's got the blue cheese and the and the cheddar. Oh, but all I'm the sorry, cheese, listen, all the cheese is a good segue uh, for, for uh, talking about college football expansion into the Pac-12 and how it affects the ACC and the Big Ten and the Alliance. Uh, obviously, collectively, you can negotiate uh, better financial deals. So we'll see how all that comes to fruition. But – uh, also out of the SEC, Ben uh, Haynes King named the starter uh, for Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. 6'3", redshirt freshman, really talented, uh, won a tight competition there. Uh, what, what's it going to be like for, for King stepping into a program where, remember, A&M was the first team out of the playoff last year, top 10 expectations, a head coach that knows he's got to win, and uh, you're in that brutal division out west. Trying not to have try not to have a drop-off, BJ. I mean, you know, Haynes King, I mean I- – not to compare, not to compare the two, but it's similar to kind of, you know, what a Tua did, uh, you know, in Alabama behind Jaden Hurts. You don't want, you want to keep going this way because by the time, you know, Haynes King, he doesn't, he's not gonna get the, uh, he's not gonna get 
uh, patience because what they were the only they they were the, they were the, on the outside looking in last year, replacing a guy Kellerman for whom really doesn't get the respect he deserves when you look at what he's done uh, for his career at Texas A&M. So post big 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 uh big regular season aspirations for this uh Texas A&M team and Haynes King he he gets to, he gets to be at the round because BJ you know he's gonna have two great tight ends, a really really underrated good defense and a, and a, you know and a, and the quarterback guru and Jimbo. And a lot of people think Texas A&M on paper is that top team out West, even in front of LSU, to contend with Alabama. So Haynes King going to be in the spotlight there. Some other SEC news. Mentioned it yesterday, but if you missed it, uh, Sanford Stadium will not require masks, proof of vaccination, or a negative COVID test. Uh, going to be full capacity. And, and last couple of days, we've seen uh, you know different rulings at different places, uh, different guidelines, different protocols. I think you're going to see that where depending upon where you're going or uh, the conference or the state or whatever, there might be different guidelines. Of course, LSU uh, uh, had a previous announcement about vaccination or negative tests a couple of days ago. Uh, but uh, in Ohio State, I believe everybody on campus is going to have mm-hmm. to be uh, vaccinated there. But but, but Georgia is going to have a full capacity. And at this point, uh, not having any of those protocols. I mean, I wish I'm definitely listen. I wish I'm I'm wishing uh, the best and the safety for everybody involved. Whether you at Sanford Stadium in Georgia, would they not saying you got to be vaccinated, or you at Ohio State or LSU or even the New Orleans Saints is saying because we got to think too, man. This is this is this, and I I am not a doctor by no means, but I'm just saying we are dealing with something that 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 continues to move forward, BJ, at a pace that we can't keep up with. I love college football. You love college football. We want college football. But at what expense do we want college football? Because all I'm saying is 2020, if nothing else, prepared us for 2021 as far as like protocols. Yes, I want uh, packed stadiums. Yes, the fan experience is a part of the college football experience. But there's a reason why Ohio State saying everybody, not just the, not just the athletes. There's a reason why you know uh, you know Death Valley and uh, New Orleans is saying if you want to come to the stadium, it's because look, sometimes, sometimes. You're doing things for the for those around you, not just for yourself. And I know that's a hard concept to come about. But, hey, man, I wish Georgia the very, very best in this situation because sometimes I'd be always asking myself, BJ, what went into this decision-making process when you went from not having – because the whole, the whole league did it, and then this year they kind of letting people uh, – you know, navigate these waters individually. I'm wishing, I'm wishing them the best, man. I just don't want I – want, I don't want nobody getting sick. Yeah. And, you know, you wonder looking ahead, will there be some fluidity with some of this, you know, whether it's statewide rules or, you know, conferences or, or, or just whatever, uh, much like we saw last year, I think there's going to be some fluidity and we'll have to see kind of what happens. Obviously we're all wishing for the best in the coming weeks and the coming months. BJ Bennett, Ben Troop here with you three and out. We are glad to have you along. We have a big show. Going to talk a lot of college football today on the program. Tweet at us at pigskin radio at pigskin radio. But the Braves, it was a wild night last night against the Yankees. You ended up losing, but a lot of drama, some controversy. Look, this is still a great team, one of the hottest teams in baseball. We'll talk about Atlanta with Ben Ingram of the Braves Radio Network next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Network, Ben Ingram. Ben, good afternoon. How are you? Doing well, fellas. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much for coming on once again. And I want to ask you about this team kind of macro and all the success they've had, but uh, the controversy in the fifth inning, I know Atlanta's had some bad luck with some of these replays. That one was kind of, kind of tough to understand. Uh, what was, what was that like from your perspective? 
Well, when we saw Freddie come across the plate and he immediately signaled to the dugout, we knew that the Braves probably had something. Freddie might not be the fastest base runner on the team, but in my opinion, he's the smartest base runner on the team. This guy's not going to point to the dugout unless he 100% knows. In other words, I think his baseball IQ is absolutely through the roof. So when Freddie pointed to the dugout, I thought all along, okay, once we see the replay, it's going to confirm that he's safe. And it did take a couple of angles. It was a little bit tricky because the first few angles, angles, you just couldn't see it clearly enough. But I think there were two angles, in my opinion. It was the third one and the fourth one that I saw, and I thought to myself, they're about to call him safe. Uh, meanwhile, we're watching everything unfold, and when they take the headsets off and they say that he's out, uh, I, I wasn't terribly shocked because I don't think that we've been able to rely on replay as a 100% accurate way of getting the call on the field right. I understand that, that Chris Conroy and the rest of that crew has a tough job to do. Uh, calling these plays at the speed that the game is played is very tough to be 100% accurate on all the time. But that's why we have the safety net of replay. And I thought that Charlie Morton had a great point after the game last night. And it's a point that I've heard others make, but I thought that Charlie really uh, put it out there very eloquently where he said the call on the field when it comes to replay probably bears too much weight. In other words, it might be a better system if the people who were called upon to look at this replay in New York had no idea what the call on the field was. And I think that would be a brilliant way of going about that. Now, I don't know how you'd make that happen, uh, but if you can have a, a committee or a crew in New York that has no clue what the call on the field was and they can see for their eyes what it was, I think that would make things significantly more reliable when it comes to uh, the replay system. But I thought that Brady was safe, but once again, we've not seen replay go the Braves way 100% of the time, and um, it, it's not the first call that I thought the Braves should have had that they didn't have, so that didn't surprise me at all. And being even uh, even sticking with Charlie Morton, I mean, came into the game 12-4. and four. I think he was fourth in the National League with 12 wins. Just talk about what he's meant to this Braves team this year. Never you know, never miss a star, seem to play. Uh, you know, extremely well when he's, you know, uh, when he's called up on the mound. And uh, throws a lot of strikes, man. Not not a guy that, you know, walks a lot of guys. Just talk about uh, Charlie Morton's, uh, you know, uh, experience he brings and his impact on the team this year. He's had such an impact on the team. He's been a, a rock for this rotation. He's been extremely consistent. And when it comes to your best pitcher, when it comes to your ace, there are a lot of things that your ace is supposed to be. But in my opinion, more than anything, the ace is the guy that you turn to. The ace is the guy who's going to continue a winning streak, and if you're not playing well, he's the guy who's going to put an end to a losing streak. He's the guy that, that you rely on where you know that when he goes out, no matter how good or bad your team may be, you're at your best self when he's out there. And I think Charlie has been that. Uh, last night was, uh, I want to say, just the second time in his last nine starts. He hasn't gone at least six or gone into the sixth inning. So every five days you know he's going to go deep in the ball game. You know that he's going to be in control. Uh, he had a few hiccups early on in the season, but that was really in the first four or five weeks of the season. Since then, if you go back and look at his last 13 starts, he's been stellar. Um, and at 37 years old, the way that he goes about his business, the way that he prepares for a start, and the way that he executes in a start, there's no stage that's too big for him. He's pitched in the World Series with multiple teams. He's come away with big-time postseason wins. And if, if, if you're in a situation where it's game one, 
of a postseason series. In my opinion, the lineup that we saw last night, so long as everybody is healthy, one through nine, that's what you would see in game one of a postseason series with Charlie on the mound. And I have no doubts about that. Um, I think that Max Breed is turning into that guy, and I love Max, but I think if you're talking about a postseason series, Charlie's the guy, and I don't think there's a single guy in that clubhouse would argue with that. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network, here with us on 3 and Out. And uh, over the last month, uh, six weeks, the Braves have been the hottest team in baseball. Uh, this winning streak, this much success, have you seen uh, much like that, Ben, in your broadcasting career? And, and what do you attribute the hot play to? Well, I haven't seen that on the road, that's for certain. And while they might have lost their nine-game winning streak, they still won 13 straight on the road, and, and that's a franchise record. So, I mean, this team's been playing baseball since the 1870s, and they've never done that. So I've never seen anything like that on the road. Uh, to me, what has happened, it's a couple of things more than anything um, that, that stand out. Number one is what you're getting with your starting pitching. I feel like night in, night out, you're getting five, six, sometimes seven innings out of these starters. I think that's where it all starts. I think that the depth in the lineup since the trade deadline, adding Jock Peterson, adding Adam Duvall, adding Jorge Soler, now you look at the outfield, you got a major league outfield now. And, and I don't think you had that when you were running out Almonte and, and Heredia. Nothing against those guys, but the roles that they're in now, they're so much better suited for those roles than they are for an everyday role. That's just the truth of the matter. Uh, so to me, that depth in the lineup has gone a very long way. And if you're looking for proof of that, if you're looking for tangible statistical proof of that, just go look at what they've done with two outs and minimum scoring position. They've scored so many more runs with two down since the trade deadline than they did prior to that. And I think that was a glaring hole leading up to the deadline. So they've linked in the lineup, and the bullpen has been really good. And I think the way that they've used Richard Rodriguez almost is like a hired gun wherever you want to use him. If the meat of the order for the other team is coming up at the sixth inning, use him in the sixth. If it's coming up in the eighth, use him in the eighth. In other words, whenever their best hitters are coming up, use your best reliever, and then you got Will Smith, and you hope that it gets the job done in the ninth inning. So to me, those are the three elements that have made this team as hot as they have been. And with 36 games left in the season, you hope that they can stay healthy and keep that going. Ben, there's something about this team still staying ahead of schedule. I mean, when you look at everything that happened this year, I mean, you talk about uh, Ron Lacuna when he went down. I mean, Marcelo Zuna in that situation. It, it, people kind of – they probably would have gave this team a mulligan. Definitely, Allison Thobbles a snit. But nobody saw, you know, what Dansby Swanson was going to do this year. Obviously, coming to the season, it was about can uh, can Austin Riley be that, you know, everyday third baseman. Just talk about this infield because you knew what to expect from Freddie, you know, and Freddie Free and obviously, you know, Ozzy, but – Dansby Swanson and uh, Austin Riley, they got to be tops in the league or definitely got to be talked of top five infield when you look at this offensive production. Yeah, that's a really good point because – and going back to your first point – if this team had continued the ways that they were leading right before the trade deadline and they never got any better and they never got to 500 or even put up a winning record, it would have been very disappointing. Uh, but I think everyone would have given them a pass, like you mentioned, losing Ronald Acuna for the rest of the season, not having Mike Soroka, having so many pitchers hurt in the first few weeks of the season, losing Travis Darno for 90 games. I mean, these are key elements. And, and it is so hard to overcome all those things. And I know that this team has taken all sorts of heat. And I don't mean to sound like a homer, but I have to call it the way that it is. I don't think that too many teams could have overcome the disadvantages that they were given and have found themselves in the place that they currently are. And I think everybody who is involved deserves a lot of credit for that because it's a lot harder than maybe we give it credit for. 
Um, Dansby has had a big part in, in that surge and what he's done offensively, cutting down on the strikeouts, going the opposite way, being a reliable bat, being a reliable bat for power and, and two out situations has been huge. Austin Riley is, in my opinion, he's an MVP candidate. I think everything that you could say about Freddie, you could equally say about the numbers that Austin Riley has put up. And while Freddie is the leader of that clubhouse, while Freddie is the Atlanta Braves, in my opinion, Austin Riley statistically has been enormous for this team. And let's not go to sleep on his glove either. Uh, I watch this guy work with Ron Washington every single day, and some of the plays this guy has made in the last month are phenomenal. Uh, I think he was a little bit wobbly with the arm in the first few months of the season. He had some throwing errors, but he's pretty much curbed that. And he has become, in my opinion, a gold-glove candidate at third base. Look at the power numbers for this infield, as you mentioned. They have an opportunity to be the first infield in the history of Major League Baseball to have four guys with 30 or more home runs. Uh, maybe they all four get there. Maybe only two or three of them do. But either way, just to be in that conversation, uh, to be in the neighborhood of 30 home runs for an entire infield, that is amazing. Um, so to, to me, the, those four have been anchors for this team. They've been healthy. They've been there every single day. And to me, they have a, a big part in overcoming the issues that this team has had, all the injuries, and still finding a way to be in the first place with about six weeks left in the season. And obviously, you know, Freddie Freeman's been such a catalyst. Uh, we, we get asked this all the time, Ben, as we're chatting with Ben Ingram of the Braves Radio Network. Do you have a sense for a, for a timetable for a contract extension for Freddie Freeman? I know when Travis Darno signed his new deal, that, you know, brought those talking points up once again. Yeah, and I thought that timetable, and I think Freddie thought this as well, was going to be the offseason of last year. So when we got to spring training and that had not happened, I was shocked. My level of shock on a scale of 1 to 10 was about a 9. Uh, so to get to where we are right now through 125 games or whatever it is, and that still not be done, that, that's surprising to me. I, I think that both parties want the same thing. I know that Freddie would like to sign a contract extension here. If the Braves were to pitch him an offer – that was right at what Paul Goldschmidt has with St. Louis, he would sign. Uh, Freddie has not told me that directly, but I've heard through other people that that is the, the neighborhood that he's looking for. I think that's a very fair request. In my opinion, he's the best first baseman in Major League Baseball. So at 30 years old, almost 31, uh, if you were to present him a five-year deal at $130 million, I think he'd take that. The lack of a, of a signature on a contract doesn't mean an offer has not been made. There have been offers that have been made, from what I understand, but they're nowhere close to meeting his demands. He knows he's going to get whatever that dollar figure is from the Braves or from someone else. Uh, so I, I have not understood uh, the, the hesitance in offering him that deal. I know that the Braves want to bring him back, and he wants to be back. So, to me, that's the most encouraging thing for Braves fans is knowing that they both want the same thing. But you can't lose Freddie Freeman. He's, your, he's an MVP. He's the best first baseman in the league. And the look that it would put on the organization if they can't bring him back to me would be pretty devastating. I, I can't even imagine him going and playing in another team's uniform. So, I don't think you want to risk that. I think he is way too valuable to even think about that for this organization. So, I, I know when it comes to contracts and extensions while Alex Anthopoulos might be the general manager that doesn't mean that he has failed in getting this job done that goes way up higher the ladder in my opinion than that I think you have to have clearance from the very top 
uh, of ownership in order to make all those dominoes fall and give con- give the contract to Freddie that he deserves. So I would hope that that's something that would happen uh, no later than the first few weeks uh, of the off season. But I'd like to see it happen earlier than that. In fact, we all would have loved to have seen it before spring training even arrived. And being uh, switching gears a little bit, I know you. I know you love the Braves, but I know even more you got to love for college football than Mississippi State. Bulldogs, to be exact. I know that. I know that the first game of the year last year, uh, it was the air raid kind of, you know, kind of, you know, uh, all flights was canceled after that. Uh, Ben, but how do you feel about the Mississippi State boys going into year two? Mike Leach, can the air raid survive in the SEC? Well, personally, I hope not. I'm an Ole Miss guy. I hope Mississippi State loses every single game. For <laughs> for being quite honest, um, no, I know that they're they've got a good coach and Mike Leach is a, an offensive genius. And um, they'll put up lots of points. I think that their defense is pretty thin. uh, And I think that's a team that that could struggle against some of the elite teams in the SEC. But as far as Ole Miss goes, I think any team's going to have a hard time slowing that offense down. And we'll see if they have enough depth at defense. But I think that's going to be an explosive team offensively. I think Matt Corral is one of the best quarterbacks, uh, not only in the SEC, but in the country. And looking forward to seeing some of the playmakers that they have brought back. I think that's going to be an explosive offense. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network, talking some baseball, talking some football. Ben, thanks so much as always. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. And got his perspective, uh, Ben, on some SEC football, but also on uh, a couple of things there. The 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 call last night and then uh, Freddie Freeman. And uh, Ben saying he's surprised the deal wasn't, doesn't, wasn't done before the start of the year. I mean, you've dealt with the contract situation before. Is this something where it's normal to kind of wait till the last minute, even in a situation where uh, Freddie Freeman's maybe the face of the franchise or one of the, you know, clearly one of the star players, or is it is it a little abnormal for it to go this long in your mind? I think it's a little bit of both, BJ. I mean, we're talking about an abnormal player. We're talking about a guy that's been the face of this franchise since he got called up, you know, since he, uh, you know, uh, been with the Braves. But I think Ben Ingram said something. He said it, it will be a really, really bad look if you let Freddie Free walk in free agency. It will be a really, really bad look. There are certain guys that they've earned the right to kind of be with the same team. I mean, and I am not comparing him to, but it's like Kobe, may he rest in peace. It would have been different if he would have went to another team other than the Lakers. There are certain guys, they just, you know, you think of them and you think of one team. So with Freddie Free, I think BJ, and this this is going to be Alex Anthopoulos' first big signing. He hasn't had a big signing yet outside of big-time one-year deal. So, they're going to, I think they're going to, ro- outside of what we've been seeing, BJ, with the Alliance or, or all this stuff going on, they want to roll this out, right? Because they only, they might only get one shot to do this the right way. Hey, Freddie, man, we're going to get it done. And I do believe behind closed doors, they're telling Freddie, we're going to get it done. Just give us time, man. We want to do it right. You are the face. Even if Ronald Cooney Jr. is the best player, you are the face of the Braves. So sometimes, I mean, I, I, I give some of these franchises a lot of credit. Some of these guys, they operate with class. And I think that's what the Braves are doing, saying, Freddie, we want to tell you thank you because you were good when we were really, really bad, and you were still really good coming off of MVP season. So, yeah, BJ, I do agree with being there. It's going to be a bad look if they don't get it done. I think they will get it done. But they want to roll out the red carpet for a guy that's been nothing but a stand-up guy since he's been a Brave, and Freddie Freeze went out there and earned that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll come back. Some news in the NFL, including a new quarterback, For the Atlanta Falcons, a former Georgia Bulldog has been traded. We'll get to that three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
have different perspectives on that, uh, different opinions on that in just a second. But uh, first, you, of course, have uh, the A.J. McCarron injury, unfortunately, for the Falcons. Uh, Felipe Franks has been the backup. Atlanta brought in, uh, signed Josh Rosen, former top 10 pick. I was played with a number of teams, of course, very highly regarded coming out of college at UCLA. Is this a good move for the Falcons? Seems like it is to me with just his experience and upside gives you, uh, you know, a little more. And I do like Felipe Franks, but I, I think this move makes sense. Uh, what's your opinion on the Falcons bringing in Josh Rosen? I do think it's a, it's a, it's a great move. Josh Rosen is a guy that got unfair, unfair shake. Uh, what, top 10, top 11 pick. Was out of there once Kip Klingsbury, who might be on the hot seat out there in Arizona after this season. I think been on four teams in four seasons, but uh, you always want to have depth. You can and 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 no place you can have more depth than the backup quarterback position on any team. Definitely a team like Atlanta. Matty Ice is about as durable as it get. But Josh Rosen, I mean, he was on the market. You can go out there and get a, a you know a, a former first round pick, you know, under a one year deal, under a one year proven deal. So yeah, I do think the Josh Rosen situation was was a good was a good situation for the Falcons because. You always looking for a quarterback. You always looking for players. And whenever I can get that level of talent to learn behind, because sometimes BJ, it's not so much where you at, it's who you behind. You get to learn behind Matty Ice. I mean, Jameis Winston, who in my opinion won the job for the Saints, you know, our last game over Taysom Hill, where he learned a year, you know, uh, you know, under Drew Brees. So I think that Josh Rosen is a guy that definitely just want to find a home. Pump your brakes, Falcons fans, and say, quote, we found our future. I don't know if that's it. But you want to be able to have BJ if. It's an if situation. If your starter goes down, you still got everything for the rest of the season in front of you and not just have to throw in the towel and look forward to the next season. No, well said. Uh, Sony Michelle traded out west, going to be with uh, Matt Stafford with the L.A. Rams. And you're talking about a really talented big-time playmaker there, uh, Athens West, uh, but but Sony Michelle on the move. Yeah, Sony Michelle is a guy that I, I've won at, what won a Super Bowl his, his uh, rookie season. Uh, with New England, kind of dealt with the injury uh, bug a little bit, kind of like Warren Warren's welcome up there in New England, I, you know. And uh, but you get a fresh start, and you think about this Rams team. I mean, BJ, you know what they got on defense with Sam Darnold. You know what they got. Uh, I mean, Sam Darnold, Aaron Darnold. I'm sorry, Sam Darnold. Uh, he's in, uh, you know, he's in Carolina now. But then you talk about, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Jalen Rams and those guys. But Sony Michelle is the guy gets to be in the offense that Sean McVay. I mean. I'm just saying, BJ, when you know uh, when Cam Makers went out, that really, really hurt that Rams offense, what he was able to do in his rookie year. So you get a guy like Sonny Michelle, not a Cam Makers, right, but gives you that burst, can catch the ball out the backfield. So, yeah, I think that, once again, another former first-rounder going out there. And, BJ, you said it, you said it best. If, if, if Atlanta loved Gators, <laughs> the Rams love dogs. You said the best. You know, uh, you know, so, yeah, I'm happy for that man. Hope he can go out there and new start. And like I say, man, the boys could be uh, something to look forward to in the NFC this year. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of people anticipated this news uh, that, that, that came out. Urban Meyer is named Trevor Lawrence, the starting quarterback, the number one quarterback in Jacksonville. And you've made this point a number of times, and it is a very fair point. Quarterbacks that have had the opportunity, generally speaking, to come in and kind of uh, wait, so to speak, and kind of learn from afar have have had consistent, consistently maybe a little more – success than quarterbacks who have had to come in and play immediately right away. You have Gardner Minshew, who was productive last year. You have C.J. Beathard, who's looked good in the preseason. Uh, is this the right call, or do you think that maybe there would have been merit to the idea of Gardner Minshew starting and taking your time with Trevor Lawrence? 
I think Trevor Lawrence, BJ, is benefiting from what didn't happen in Jacksonville more than what they hope to happen in Jacksonville. I say that because Tim Tebow, right, it didn't work, right? You're talking about the Chris Doyle situation, trying to get away from that. So Urban Meyer was like, look, man, how do I, you know, reaffirm the, you know, the love, you know, uh, and really respectability from this fan base, from this team? I got to go with Trevor Lawrence. Now, I don't, the, it's not Trevor Lawrence that I have a problem with. It's the fact that I just know most successful quarterbacks in the NFL, and there are exceptional rules. Delayed success is continued, is continued success with the quarterback position because you don't want, by the time he learns the game, he's beat up. Because let's face it, Trevor Lawrence is going to get hit a lot this year. He's going to get hit a lot. So all I'm saying is, if, I'm, if I can see what it is, if, if, if Baker Mayfield coming to the sideline, Saying, look, man, you got to find a way, you know, to get that ball out compared to, you know, because because BJ, we, I, the thing about Trevor is he gets in, he gets beat up, he needs a game or two. I know that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the guy. You say why delay it? Because you know he's going to be the guy. That's why you can delay it. It's not like a situation where he's not going to be that guy, but he's going to have to get used to one. He's going to have to get used to losing. He's going to have to get used to understanding that. Look, man. They really, really think you can elevate us the way you did Clemson. Because this is the first time in Trevor Lawrence's career. He's not the best player. He's not on the best team. He, he's, he doesn't have better talent on offense than the guys he could be going against on defense. He got a rookie head coach. Who, that's really the thing. Urban Meyer don't really know what he's doing. He's hoping that what he does is going to be successful. And a lot of, and most of their team is 25 years old or younger. So I – I, I think they had to make this move, BJ, but I go back to what you said about Garner a couple of years ago. Garner is good enough to start. And look at the division. It's the AFC South. It ain't like it's a world beaters type, you know, type division. So I just think that not because I don't think Trevor is the guy. I just know that delayed success. You got the Russell Wilsons of the world. You got the, you know, you do got the uh, Eli Manners of the world who came in and started from day one. But I'm just saying, if you look at the guys who've had continued success over a long period of time, they didn't play right away. Not because they weren't good enough, but it's something about the quarterback position, watching what it really takes compared to being out there. But, hey, man, I'm wishing that young man the best. He just got to learn how to get down, got to learn how to slide, and got to learn how to throw the ball away. Yeah, and I do agree with you on a couple of points. I think Gardner Minshew has proven he can play in the National Football League. I'm a fan of his game. Uh, I think on a on a bad team, if we're being honest, you know, was able to put up some pretty impressive relatively speaking numbers giving his inexperience and or, or given his inexperience and the fact that Jacksonville was pretty limited but I look at it like this I do think if you unless there's been a preseason where you know Gardner Minshew I don't think CJ Beathard is a is a candidate to start just just being honest uh had had Gardner Minshew dramatically outplayed Trevor Lawrence in the preseason and Trevor Lawrence you know really looked out of sync then I think we're having a different conversation but if the performances were comparable I do think you're kind of delaying the inevitable because if you start Gardner Minshew, but you do so kind of knowing in, in the back of your mind that there's an expiration date, I think in some ways that might come across as kind of disingenuous. And I think in some ways it creates a distraction where if everybody around the team, the media, mm -hmm. the fans, the players on the roster know, hey, it's literally only going to be a week or two or three before Trevor Lawrence comes in, it kind of feels – it doesn't feel like it's like it's an actual representation of what is is going to happen. And you made a couple of points, great points about quarterbacks that sat out for a whole year and were able to learn from afar. My thing is, if Jacksonville was willing to commit to this and say, we don't want to play Trevor Lawrence right away, 
We're going to let him sit for a year. We feel like Gardner Minshew can help us. I think that's a different argument, right, wrong, and different, whether you disagree with it. That's a different argument that could have more of a long-term benefit than saying, hey, Trevor, you're going to be the starter in late September, but in early September, you're not. Just hold on a couple of weeks. So I think there's a difference. If it's going to happen by week two or three, I think it makes sense to go ahead with it in week one and kind of minimize the distraction that it would cause. I don't, but that's what I'm saying. Because I don't think those type of, I don't think those type of promises have to be made. Like I've never said, "Hey man, you're gonna play week one or week two. Based off of what? I think this is this one thing too. Trevor Lawrence is one of the most proven winners and most decorated players we've ever seen in college. I don't think he lost a game in the regular season in college. I don't think he lost a game in high school. So when he loses in the regular season, it will be the first time he lost in the regular season. There is something to understand how to play the game how to go about winning the game, how to get those guys to believe in you. Those things, I say this all the time, getting drafted makes you a pro. Learning how to play makes you a professional. It is not the same. So for me with Trevor, it's less about what he's capable of doing, BJ. He needs to know that this team is good without him. Because if it's just me, I could think that everything we're doing is because of me. Well, that could be the case. But if Gardner is in, it's just that they say, all right, Gardner, you know, you know, it's like it's like it's like it's like the uh, uh, the Fitzpatrick. You know, Fitzpatrick gonna come in, BJ Fitzmagic. He gonna give you seven, eight good weeks, and what? He falls off. If anything else, I think Gardner Mitchell has earned that. He had yes, they went one of fifteen, but that was more about the guys around him and not the way in which he played. So I, I just think that for me, I I know that Trevor is the guy. But if I'm saying, hey man, you're gonna play with, with Lamar Jackson didn't start, right? Vince Young didn't start. Vince Young won the Vince Young won the Rick of the Year. He started last eight games of the season. Lamar Jackson is the only is the only quarterback in his draft class to go to the playoffs every single year he's been in the league. So I'm saying it's something to say because if I've seen it before, it's like that guy behind me is giving me the eye, right, man. You ready? It's like I'm giving you that pat on the back. You you ready? BJ Gardner Miss, you know he's not gonna be the guy in Jackson. He knows it. But at the end of the day, I just I just think that. Gardner Minshew has earned it. We'll see what happened with Trevor. But, yeah, I knew that Trevor was going to be the guy even by default. We'll see. But as for now, Trevor Lawrence, the number one quarterback in Jacksonville. We'll come back with more three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. An unfinished, the Ben Troop story. It's been a lot of work, man. It's been uh, you and I talking just, just endlessly. Uh, it's been an honor, uh, of course. It's been a real thrill and joy. But a couple of weeks out, man. You ready? I am. I am, BJ. Long time coming. And uh, super duper proud of this. Super duper humble. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, I couldn't have done it without you. Literally, it wasn't happening uh, at all. But, uh, you know, it's, it's something when you say, you know, you see something come to the forefront. And, you know, I got, I got, I, I wanted to give you something yesterday, but because of circumstances, I couldn't do it. When I give it to you, it's going to bring it, it's going to bring it out home. It came in the mail. So when you see it, you know, not, not, not to split, not to spoil the beans, but BJ, I don't know what it is about you, but it's something to see something to the end, right? Like, you you, you want to do something. And this was, BJ, I, I think I met you in 2008, 2009. We were talking about a book way back when. We was much younger, you know, and different things. But I am humbled by this. I really, really am to be able to say this is what we're going to be doing. So I appreciate you. But, yes, go to BenJube84.com, Uncommon Unfinished, The Ben Jube Story with BJ Bennett is available. Go get, you a, go get your copy right now, and I appreciate all the support already. 
No, it was an absolute honor. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of you and everything that uh, you've accomplished and looking forward to people getting to learn a little more about you. Bentrube84.com, also going to be online. I think Books A Million, Target, Barnes & Noble, in stores uh, also. So Bentrube84.com, though, you can see it. And uh, really excited coming out in just a couple of weeks. We'll come back. We'll take three. Uh, Chris Burnett still to come. The Orlando offensive lineman for the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia Clemson being right around the corner. Uh, so excited about that. The Orlando Ledbetter from the AJC will join us as well. And to talk about the Falcons as the regular season is on the horizon. But it is time to take three. We'll send it back to Cam in the studio as we take three here on a Wednesday afternoon. All right, guys. All right. Take three. Uh, is Matt Ryan's backup the best job ever? All right. If you're Matt Ryan's backup, you probably aren't going to have to do much because Matt Ryan doesn't get hurt, right? He's, he's he's consistent. He's out there. You know he's going to be the quarterback. I don't think that's the best job ever, though. I, I'm going to say Matt Ryan's backup's backup because if you're the backup quarterback, there's a chance <laughs> you could play. And that means there's pressure, there's expectations, people are going to start booing you. If you're the backup to the backup, you still get paid pretty good. I mean, some of these quarterbacks that are third-string quarterbacks, you know, have pretty decent contracts. You're still a quarterback, so everybody knows who you are, and you get an interview. But you don't have to do anything, right? Or do you have to do some scout team stuff, I guess, But but or, or practice squad, but you don't have to, you don't have to go out there and play and deal with the scrutiny. So I'd be okay being the third string quarterback. I'll be Matt Ryan's backup. I'll be his backup. Oh man, Matt Matt Ryan's backup is intriguing. Some people, some would say it used to be Drew Brees. I'm gonna go Tom Brady. Because at least if you're Tom Brady's backup, BJ, by the time you become a starter, you already got Super Bowl rings, huh? You, I mean, you already got rings. You're like, yeah, man. and you get to be, and you're gonna get interviewed later on in life. Like when your career's over, Matty, I, I mean, they'll say, hey man, Remember when you was with uh, Tom Brady? You talking about you my ring number six? You my ring number six or ring number sixteen? No, you on the yeah, yeah, yeah. You talking about when he was fifty years old and he was still winning the Super Bowl? No, it is gonna be Tom Brady, BJ, because number one, the thing about Tom Brady is, man, you get to be around Tom Brady. Like you're in the meeting room with him. You you ask Tom Brady about financial advice. And, hey, man, if I want to marry a supermodel, man, you know what do I have to do with things of that nature? So, Matty Ice, yes, but more Tom Brady, BJ, because at least with Matty, at least with Tom Brady. You know what I'm saying? You got to get your ring size. You got to get so. Give me time, break. Look, man, I would, uh, I would agree with you on that, but I just can't. I would say Matt Ryan because of the simple fact. Um, basically, there's no expectations. Like being Tom Brady, there's expectations. There's a lot. Of, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of expectations with Tom Brady. Okay, you win three, four rings. Now they're expecting two, three more. Matt Ryan, uh, you're his backup. He's already blown the Super Bowl, so there's no more expectations. Tom Brady. Good afternoon. I mean, hello. Good. Look, listen. I agree with you. I agree with you that if you're Tom Brady's backup and you have to come in, it's what? Why can't you win Super Bowl? Why can't you win 11 games? Matt Castle or whatever his name was. No, you're Matt Ryan's backup. It's fine. Uh, but man, bringing up the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah, I'm an Atlanta fan, no, but that hurt. Tom Brady missed an entire season. That's a lot of responsibility. Matt Ryan's <laughs> missed three out of 208 games. Yeah. That is, that's true. All right, take two, guys. If college football had a commissioner, who should it be? Yeah, and we may be moving towards this, uh, you know, especially with the scope and scale of the NCAA essentially diminishing. Um, I'm going to go with Kirk Herbstreet, all right, because he's seen it from a couple of different, you know, you know, a couple of different angles here. Played at a, you know, big-time program, played at Ohio State, and, uh, you know, you still see the clips from time to time, but also has, has covered the sport 
you know, directly and closely as, as, as one of the leading analysts, if not the leading analyst for college football for a long time. So he's got the player's perspective, which, which I think is important to, to know the game from the inside out and kind of know what it's like to be in the locker rooms, have to go out there to compete and, you know, be a student athlete, which is an incredible responsibility. And it's been around the game, you know, normally has, you know, really good, really thoughtful takes on, on, on college football. So I'll go Kirk Herbstreet. I think it should be The Rock. You know why I mean? Think about this, BJ. Okay, you need somebody with star power, right? Name a place The Rock is. People ain't going to go, oh, my God, it's The Rock. Who going to tell The Rock to shut up? Nobody. And, and listen, and The Rock, listen, and The Rock doesn't need the NCAA to survive. He needs the NCAA as far as, like, to help them with their branding. Well, everything The Rock everything The Rock, the Rock touches turns to gold. So you're saying you know, this, Ben. The Rock comes out and goes, we're moving to 12 teams. That's it. Deal with it. Nobody's going to say anything. Absolutely, BJ. And the thing is, he's, a, he's already a brand, right? He's already his own brand. A brand is supposed to add to another brand. You know, LeBron and everything he does, you know, he adds to these brands. So the problem is that the, the commission now doesn't add any brand equity. Zero, zilch, nothing. If when The Rock got to go to a congressional hearing, it's going to be very, very entertaining. And when The Rock goes, don't ask me that no more. They're not going to ask him anything. And The Rock is going to give you a reason to watch. Too many teams in the NCAA are irrelevant. If the Rockets, if the Rockets over the NCAA and say Coastal Carolina is going to be one of the last four teams, who's going to question it? Give me the Rock, brand equity. I mean, a voice, a celebrity. I mean, I mean, he's box office. Played it to U. Played it to U. Played it to U. And once again, you're going to start having some big time interviews. Who knows? And maybe the assistant commissioner could be Warren Sapp. Who knows? Guys, give me uh, Paul Feinbaum. Uh, the man oh, knows. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The man knows his football. I mean, when you want to know football, you listen to Paul Feinbaum. I mean, uh, just hearing him talk about college football since I've been alive. I mean, it's just intriguing. So I do Paul Feinbaum. I mean, he's not a biased analyst, a biased person in general. So I'll probably take Paul Feinbaum. You got any anything, Christian? Nope. Okay. Uh, take take three. Uh. Should there be an independent group to review in-game replays? Yeah, I mean, my thought on this is, is this really necessary? Because here's how it works from what I understand with baseball, okay? And it was a there was another missed call against the Braves in the fifth inning where uh, Freddie Freeman was sliding into home, and there are, you know, clips and, and, and photos. You can see on Twitter, he's, he's safe. And, of course, was called out. The Braves lose by one run. And you had uh, an earlier missed call earlier in the season with Philadelphia and Atlanta. But the thing is this. As currently constituted, the, 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 the umps make the call on the field. If it is challenged, it then goes to a different location where you have, you know, cameras and technology and TV, or not cameras, but, you know, screens. And you can look at everything and you can uh, rewind, etc. So it already is kind of outsourced. So... A, a, a situation where it would be doubly outsourced or kind of re-outsourced would be even more complicated. And if you're saying, no, it would be a, a, a review committee to review it after it happened. Well, if you're reviewing something a day later or later that night, it doesn't really change anything. I mean, let's say for sake of argument that there was a committee to review calls that are controversial after the game is finished. Well, last night, the Braves still would have lost. You still wouldn't have corrected the, the bad call with Freddie Freeman. And I just think you'd be getting into a situation where you can call a group that would review calls 
a third party group or a kind of uh, uh, not included in baseball group. But if they're getting paid to review calls by baseball, they're then a part of the same kind of group that you currently have that reviews calls and makes decisions. So I think you already have the protocol in place. Just do better. Just get the calls right. Just look at what's happening. And I understand in live game action, right? When you're trying to call a slider, that's brutal. I mean, that's been football call, all of this. Really, really hard to do in real time. But when you can slow it down, just get it right. I think adding a second or third layer or a committee that reviews a committee that reviews a call can get a little complicated. Let's just do a better job with the system we have. I, I do think you I do think you need a, a third party group. I do think you need an outside entity, BJ, for this reason, this reason alone. You need something that while it while it gets paid by while it gets paid by, you know, the NFL or MLB or what may have you, they're not affiliated with them. Whenever you hear affiliations, like when's the last time? Think about this. When's the last time the coach's son wasn't a star player? He ain't the pitcher, he ain't the quarterback, you know, he just happens to be the best player. Well, that's my son. What am I gonna do? Not play him? No. What happens is in these situations, BJ, I went through an NFL concussion protocol. All right? You had you had you had real neurologists seeing former players. A real neurologist sees everyday people. So this is what they do every single day. The NFL employed the neurologist strictly for their medical expertise. When what the medical expertise didn't line up with what they think line up, they went with their doctors. Think about this. So you're not gonna take the guy that does it every day because it's not lining up. Why do you think the NFL doctors are lining up with the NFL? Hmm, that's that's peculiar. No. Anytime you got something that's a part of the same entity, you're biased already. If I got a watchdog, you know, uh, outside entity group, we're looking at these refs, they're holding refs accountable, meaning we're going to try to help get that thing right. So for me, I think it's only going to help EJ because it's blowing games, costing games. Them strikes out there are not supposed to be costing games, but they're doing too much to be blowing. Okay, guys, I'm assuming we're talking all sports. So, yes, uh, I 100% agree. Um, I a couple of months ago, I watched the Suns and the Clippers play. Uh, it was game four, and the last four minutes of that game lasted an hour because of official reviews. They had the the actual refs on the court going and reviewing what was happening as far as, car, as, far as foul calls and things like that. If they had a center to just send it to an individual group, the game would have went by in that four-minute span, probably 20, 30 minutes like it should be. So um, I 100% agree. All right, good thoughts, guys. That's take three here on a Wednesday afternoon. BJ Bennett alongside Ben Troop, uh, Cam Ussery as well. We are glad to be with you. Tweet at us at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio. We'll come back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. He finds new friends. The SEC needs no new friends. So we'll get into that. But you're seeing scheduling, Ben, uh, being talked about with the Alliance. What does that mean from a college football scheduling standpoint with the ACC, the Big Ten, uh, the Pac-12? What are the non-conference options going to be? Uh, what is the SEC going to do? So an interesting question here from Christian, which uh, makes me think of one game in particular, but uh, school that you should never, ever add to your schedule, a non-Power 5 school where the risk of scheduling them outweighs the benefits. I remember a game, it was an FCS, it was an FCS. T- what? 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 I, just, just take it. I, I, I already know you. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you don't think 
You don't think that's a fair question? You, you don't think that's a yeah, fair? I, I, I mean, Cam, listen, Cam hasn't been around you and me that much to know that I know what you're going to say. So go ahead, because Cam hasn't heard this yet. No, I just wanted to ask you your opinion on kind of Florida's non-conference scheduling. Listen, number one, BJ, I mean, it used to be one of those things the way you, you know, you schedule somebody non-conference, you know, late in the season, get you a big dub, you know, pad your stats. But Georgia Southern had some, you know, they had something different on the board. But I will say this, once again, there was a silver lining in that, though. Cam, check this out real quick. Back in 2013, Georgia Southern goes to Florida. Now, you would think that Florida would beat Georgia Southern at home and went the other way. They had this running back named Jarek McKinnon, right? Killed Florida, right? That was a fantastic team. That was a great team. This is what you don't know about Jarek McKinnon. In 2002, my junior year in college, Jarek McKinnon had a brother named Lester Norwood who went to Florida and played safety. There was a picture of me standing next to Lester with a little Jared McKinnon standing in front of us posing. And who would have thought that, you know, 11 years later, he would be, you know, he would be throwing up the deuces because they just gave us that L. So yeah, BJ, I think. Well, and, and, and a couple of years later yet, yeah, yeah, Georgia Southern take Georgia into overtime. Let's not, let's not forget that, but scheduling and, and, and very cool story. Scheduling is going to be interesting moving forward. I mean, when you look at a team, like when you look at a team, like, you know, Cincinnati, for example, right? Because technically Cincinnati is not a power five school. Even though they're in the top 10, they're in the group of five. If Kevin was here, he'd say they're in the AAC, all right? The AAC, Cincinnati plays Notre Dame this year. Cincinnati plays Indiana this year. And we've got to get to the point in college football. I think a lot of people just look and go, oh, Cincinnati. No, these are, you know, Georgia Southern can play with anybody in the country. Cincinnati can play with anybody in the country. If you're if you're if you're Florida or Georgia, and you look at playing Cincinnati a couple of years down the line, even though they are a top ten team, even though they are one of the top most consistent programs in the country right now, is that put you in a tough spot where if you beat them, no one's really going to give you the credit you deserve? That's a great win, but if you lose to them, people are going to say, "Oh, you lost to a to a G five team." How do you balance that? I don't think you can, BJ. I think that for Teams like Cincinnati, they're always doing it for more than them, right? It's never, ever just them winning. It's them and everybody they represent. It's like the Boise State back in the day. It would be like, oh, man, Boise State beat Georgia first game of the year. No, Boise State beat everybody they played against back then. Keller, shout out to Keller Moore, you know, defensive coordinator. I mean, offensive coordinator now for the Dallas Cowboys. But, BJ, I think all of those teams, that's why they play. That's why those conferences are that good. Because they all playing like that. Like, we, we'll look at Coastal Carolina. We'll think, hey, man, BYU lost to Coastal Carolina. Dude, BYU is fighting for respectability in the Sun Belt every single year because it's all about App. It's all about Georgia Southern. It's all about Louisiana. Well, we, we, we come here to play too. So I think, BJ, when you start talking about scheduling, I think in the future you say, hey, man, what's a team we can lose to and still have respectability for our programs if we G5 versus, I mean, P5 versus G5? Because I be telling people all the time, there is not that big of a gap. If there is a gap, because I think that's just what we say. Now, is there a gap between Alabama and everybody else? Yes, but it's not as big as we think it is. Why? Because you know who played Alabama tough? The Citadel. They played Alabama very, very tough when they played them. So I think I interrupt you here real quick because because you are right, and the Alabama argument is one I always hear. Right where I hear people say, "Oh man, Coastal Carolina couldn't play with." 
couldn't play with uh, Alabama. If they played them, they'd lose by four touchdowns, right? First, we don't know that. Second, if they did, you know who that would make them? That would make them Texas A&M. Texas A&M played Alabama last year and lost by four touchdowns. And Texas A&M was the first team out of the college football playoff. So I think I think it's important. You know, we have to do a better job all across college football of understanding that if you play a Georgia Southern, if you play an App State, if you play a Georgia State, and you win that game, that's a quality win. That yeah. is a good win. I mean, Arkansas better be ready for Georgia Southern in a couple of weeks. Uh, that that's a quality win. I think Georgia State plays both both Auburn and North Carolina. Keep an eye on those games. But I don't know that around college football people fully acknowledge that. And if you beat those teams, they go, oh, well, that's just a, a, a game you should have won. And if you lose, it's, oh, man, they lost to a G5 team. And Coastal Carolina is a great example. We've got to get to a point where if Florida or Georgia plays a Coastal Carolina and they win by seven, you don't go, how did you only win by seven? You go, hey, that's a quality win over a nationally ranked opponent. And I don't and, – and, you know, going back to the question, I think if you – if you schedule a team like that, if you schedule a quote-unquote mid-major, even though that term is not, you know, the P5, G5, the blend is 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 so much more uh, active than people think, Ben. These are very similar, comparable programs. But if you play a, a Coastal Carolina, let me ask you, if Coastal Carolina was playing Georgia in week one and not Clemson, Coastal Carolina was a top 10 team last year. If Georgia were to lose that game, would anybody say, well, you lost to a top 10 team? Or would it be, how did you how did you lose to a G5 team? Well, BJ, I think that's where we come in, right? And when I say we, I mean like, you know, uh, you know, you know, ESPN, you know, ESPN Savannah, uh, former players. It's the Deion Sanders effect, right? Like, why do Deion go to JSU? It's bigger than just trying to elevate HBCU. I'm trying to show y'all there is big time talent down here. Who was in those leagues? South Carolina State, Darius Leonard, the highest paid linebacker in football history, went to South Carolina State. So it's in a sense where people go, I mean, how do we use our influence? That's how we do it. Like, keep on saying it. Like, BJ, it's like when you start saying, if there was school, I know what you're going to say, right? Because it's not so much Florida lost to Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern is showing we play big time football. We beat y'all in right. No, that's that's exactly right. It is not. It is not this indictment of Florida, and it's easy to pick on you. We're having fun with you. It is Georgia Southern on a, a roster with NFL players. Uh, Georgia Southern with six national championships goes out and wins. And look what happened when their opportunities came. Again, took Georgia into overtime. Uh, had Georgia Tech right there on the uh, on the ropes. Had what NC State right there on the ropes. The consistent results show the ability and show the potential. And, BJ, as a conference, who you stay away from is the Sun Belt. And you can look at it and you look, look, 2013, I don't know I don't know if Georgia Southern was in the Sun Belt then, but 2013, you had Georgia Southern. Right? FCS, FCS, they were in the Sun Belt. Hold on, Georgia State, they beat Tennessee a couple of years ago. Went to Tennessee and beat them. Last year in 2020, all three Sun Belt teams, Louisiana beat the brakes off of Iowa State, who was picked to be one of the top four teams. Kansas get beat by Coastal Carolina every year, and I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember who won that third. Ar- one. Ar- Arkansas State beat Kansas State. Yeah, listen, fast forward to this: the 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 mighty LSU Tigers got beat at home by Troy. They got beat at home. That's the Sun Belt again. Louisiana Monroe should have beat South Carolina at South Carolina, but they started tripping should again. Should have so, beat, beat Florida State at a missed extra point in like triple overtime. So all I'm saying, BJ, is like I tell people this: I am I am an ambassador of college football first, University of Florida second, 
Because the minute I start saying, oh, man, no, it's almost like this. I mean, I, I hate to say this. Kia sold the most cars they ever sold when LeBron was a spokesman because people thought that LeBron drove that. LeBron, LeBron don't drive it. But if LeBron drives it, that elevates that entire brand. because of, so, I, so that's what we got to make sure we're doing, BJ, because we know about the Sun Belt. Like when people go, Florida lost to Georgia Southern. And somebody started researching Georgia Southern. Like, Wait a minute, man. There was an Adrian Peterson. Yes, there was an Adrian Peterson that went to Georgia Southern and not the Adrian Peterson that went to Oklahoma. There was the, the, the most traditional rich program in the state of Georgia is Georgia Southern. It is not Georgia. It's not Georgia Tech. It's not Savannah State. It's not Mercer. Not Kennesaw State. And nothing against those teams. It starts and ends with Georgia. Georgia Southern might have the greatest running back in college football history if we just – Look, because why? He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Check. Won national championships. Check. Had enough of a postseason that's better than some people's entire career. So I'm just saying, if we start looking at it as, it's college football. Throw out G5, throw out P. It's college football. If it was all even, and we didn't say what school somebody went to, we put them all in the same room. Could you tell them apart? No. So let's stop saying one has a higher platform because we hear about them, see about them every single day. But why is it they go, oh, man, they only beat so-and-so by 14 points? No, that's how good that team they played is. So I just think that that's what the conversation be, BJ. Stay away from the Sun Belt, people. I'm telling you, stay away from it. Okay, to that end, to that end, if you're Scott Strickland and you're coming up with Florida's schedule, okay, you're going to have some non-conference opportunities. I think I think even with the alliance, you're still going to have the Florida-Florida States at the end of the year. You know, you got to have that. Those games are good for college football. It What's, what's your perspective? Do, do, do you say, listen, this is the, the, the current college football reality is that the gap between the big names and the smaller names barely exists, if it even exists at all. Are you able to go out and schedule programs that may not have the – the national kind of name recognition and and still accomplish your goals and still if you only win by seven uh, get you know get the credit you should yes because because bigger big than just playing the game BJ you become an ambassador for that team you play like and instead of saying oh Florida just played Sanford you go whoa, whoa, whoa let me tell you about Sanford like I become a sport what do you mean man These, they did this and did that and did that and did this we whoever is the highest validates who's quote under them not beneath them but under them Meaning, you know, people always – I know Cam going to like this. People going to say Kevin Durant is the best player in the world right now over LeBron. And people go, what? And you know why people go, what? Because, when, because Kevin Durant can't do something that LeBron can. Kevin Durant hasn't won a championship on every team he's been on. That was LeBron. Kevin Durant is not top two or three in scoring. That's LeBron. But, BJ, but when, but when LeBron says, hey, man, get off that man, Kevin Durant, he is the best player, everything goes away. People get quiet because the one who was is validating the one who they saying is. If I'm the one who is and y'all saying this isn't, if I say they are, they are. Because I'm like, look, I'm not looking down on them. That's a football player. Because guess what? If it was switched, if I go to – I played FAMU my senior year. Well, people didn't know about FAMU that year, their defensive line was their offensive line. They were like, we got to play both ways. I ain't did that since high school. But guess what? After the game, right? When, I, when, when we talk to them, I'm telling them, boy, y'all boys keep doing what y'all doing. That's letting them know, look, man, I, I don't think I'm better than you because I went here and you went there. right? So I just think that that's what it is more than anything else, BJ. Become an ambassador for the ones you play. Don't just be like, oh, man, we beat the brakes off of them. Say, no, man, we respect those boys. Man, they got a linebacker over there that's really, really good, and somebody going to clip that. So when that boy start getting more looks, I'm telling you, one hand washes the other. It's really, really not that hard to do it. Because if I was at one of these smaller schools, in a sense, or 
teams that don't get as much, because it's all about exposure, right? Less exposure means less opportunities. More exposure, more opportunities. I'm just talking about these guys, man, because I just think it's crazy. Because, BJ, you know just like I know. If you had to stack up and play the Sun Belt schedule every year, you ain't going undefeated. Because I'm telling you, App, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, and Arkansas State and Tech, they coming too. Y'all don't want to deal with that. Y'all don't want to deal with that nonsense year in, year out. Just ask the Big Ten about, about, about the freaking Sun Belt. They'll let y'all know them boys come to play. It's great perspective. B.J. Bennett here with Ben Troop. We'll come back. We'll chat with Mark Bradley, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. He's got a new column up. The ACC finds new friends. The SEC needs no new friends. And uh, we're all still kind of processing the uh, the uh, alliance with the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. If, if that's a new friendship for the ACC, what, what what's kind of the ultimate goal? I know we covered this yesterday, but talking about the alliance, which is going to have a ripple effect and is going to uh, be the foundation for something moving forward, what are those leagues hoping to accomplish? And we will actually ask Mark Bradley, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who joins us now to talk about his column. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the program. How are you? Good, thanks. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming on the program. And the ACC, some new friends here with the Alliance, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten. In your mind, what is the ultimate goal of, of, of this alliance that was announced yesterday? Well, I don't think even the, the these three allies know for sure. I, I think that they, I think that the biggest thing it does is it keeps them from being hung out without anybody else as a partner as um, as the years go forward. The um, you know the big the Big Twelve is now the league that you know they're obviously without Texas and Oklahoma, uh, or they're going to be, and they also aren't part of the SEC, nor are they part of this new three-team alliance. So, uh, you know, you would have to think that the Big 12 may not be much longer. Um, but I, I think what the ACC and the Big 10 and the, the Pac-12 are trying to do is just make sure that they have some sort of uh, leverage and uh, and some sort of uh, – um, that they want they want to – be sure that they they wanted to be sure that they were going to be they were not going to be the one left out. Uh, the SEC can go it alone, uh, especially with Texas and Oklahoma. They don't need anybody. Uh, but the others, I mean, you know, if if the Pac-12 and the, and the Big Ten were to have merged and left the ACC hanging there, that would not be a great position for the ACC because the the, the feeling is that. Uh, um, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving Big 12, there there could be another round of of uh, conference shifts uh, and and teams raiding uh, other conferences. And you know, the, the, nobody wants to be put in that position. And if you've got some sort of signed agreement with two other conferences, the the chances of them being the ones to come and pick out one or two of your teams are, are pretty low. Mark, when I when I think about when I think about the alliance compared to uh, the SEC expansion, SEC has star power, and they just they they had star power before they added Texas and Oklahoma. 
the thing about the Alliance, you got some stars, but how much star power does the Alliance have? You got Clemson, you got Ohio State, you got USC, you got Oregon. Do they have enough star power to generate the type of, you know, uh, attention they're going to need to be able to compete, not even not just on the field, but just from a perception-wise with the SEC? There are, there are um, you know, there's, there's a difference between the SEC and everybody else. I mean, uh, uh, I, I'm not crazy about everything the SEC does, but you have to say when it comes to football, they're the they're the best. Uh, you know, they they tend to prove that every January. I, I think that I, I think that what what you're seeing now is that um, conferences are, are are trying to to sort of set themselves up for a day maybe after the NCAA uh, changes or goes out of existence. Because um, uh, I, I think that that's that that could be the big thing here, uh, uh, because you know the NCAA has said it wants to get out of some of the uh, managerial jobs that has performed in college sports, and uh, and and to tell the truth, the the NCAA has had very little to do with college with with the FBS college football over the over the past few years, so. It it would not be a surprise to see if to see um, the NCAA just say football you're on your own, and uh, um, and then you know you you would you would have to kind of you would you wouldn't want to be alone or 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 one of the ones that doesn't have a a big stake in uh, a big stake in all of that because they you might be absorbed by somebody else. I do, as far as the the ACC having the um, having the star power of the SEC, that no, uh, and nor does the Pac-10, nor does the nor does the Big Twelve. Uh, I'm sorry, nor does nor does the Big Ten or the Pac-12. I get all my numbers mixed up, but I, I you know I, I think that here they at least have more than uh, than they did. I, you know the Pac Pac-12 hasn't had uh, very many people get in the uh, the college football playoff uh, and uh, uh, Oregon did Washington did that's it they two years out of what six or seven and and I think that uh, um, you know I, I, I think that uh, without Oklahoma and Texas uh, the big eight the big big 12 now down to eight uh, you know really doesn't have much reason for being. Mark Bradley of the AJC joining us to talk about his new column. And uh, you have the Alliance. You will at some point, probably in the near future, have uh, Oklahoma and Texas in in the SEC playing as SEC members. In your mind, how does all this impact the college football playoff? Does it make it inevitable, I guess, that some form of expansion is on the near horizon? Not necessarily. I think that that actually the – some of this may make the people who were desperate for for a 12 team playoff think wait a minute where, where are those 12 teams going to come from there, i mean there's only like basically four conferences now uh so that what's that mean three from each four uh, you know four from the, uh, you know who knows uh do they want the sec getting like five teams in i, I think i think the 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 12 going from Four to twelve is is something that uh, um, I, I don't think the SEC would have any problem with that because they think, well, you know, we've got you know beyond Alabama, beyond Georgia, we've still got LSU and Auburn and uh, 
and Florida and Texas A&M. We might get six. But uh, but the other leagues uh, and these three that were, were in the merger or this merger or alliance, uh, they don't have that same issue. I mean, they're they're not going to get the Pac-12 can't get in any in right now, so they're not they're gonna, they're not going to get multiple teams in. I don't think. Uh, and it's uh, and the ACC is really basically a Clemson only thing since Florida State uh, receded. So it, it's it's tough. It's tough to know what what's right here. And and I think if these three teams see that uh, these three allies. See that uh, that a 12-team playoff is just going to be another way for the SEC to lord its power over everybody else. They may say, "Wait a minute, we're not sure we want that." Mark, when 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 the SEC decided to bring in Texas and Oklahoma, that was a seismic shift. People was like, "What in the world?" Then when you look at what went into it, a year uh, in talks and Greg Sankey. I mean, he kept the secret. Nobody said a thing. And Greg Sankey is really kind of like help orchestrate the 12-team playoff. One guy is speaking for one, obviously, one conference. When you talk about this alliance, you got you got three different commissioners saying three different things. They kind of like still working for their individual conference and not as a whole. Do you think because it's not one voice, that's why it's going to be hard to bring this thing together? Well, um, I, th- I think another reason that uh, uh, that the these three have formed this alliance is that they've seen how, how – well, Sankey is positioned now, and uh, how that the SEC basically runs college football, and all three of their uh, uh, all three of their commissioners are fairly new, uh, and I, and I think the last thing they want these commissioners wanted was to be left hanging without uh, without a partner or partners, and, and you know, but again, who knows? I, I mean, this this is all. I, I, I think the SEC feels like it's got it as much as it needs right now, and that if it, you know, if you know, if it wants that, if it, if a, um, I don't know, it'd be pretty hard to jam Southern Cal into a Southeastern Conference, you would think. But uh, you know, if a, if another big team or two wanted to come in, they, you know, they probably make room for that. But I think right now the SEC is thinking. We, we've got we've got all we need. We've got and we've got Texas and Oklahoma coming in. We're we're set. Mark Bradley, go check out his new column on all that's happening in college football on the Atlanta Journal Constitution, AJC.com. Mark, thanks so much for the time. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right, Ben. I'll ask you the question I asked him. Uh, in your mind, the alliance, and I guess uh, before that, uh, Oklahoma and Texas coming over. Does all this make? a 12 team playoff more or less likely. Cause I'm like, Mark, I kind of, I kind of struggle, I, you know, maybe less likely, but, but I don't know. I think it is more likely BJ because, you know, people still want to see representation, right? I mean, if you in the West coast, you ain't had a team in the college football playoff and you're not going to get in there with the model we have now, you're not going to get in. And I think you get in less because you don't have the talent BJ and more because no one sees you play. These games come on so late. You ain't getting the viewership. If the only people speaking for you are the people on the West Coast, and once again, it goes back to our previous segment, if people in the South that runs college football ain't speaking on behalf of the people out West, people ain't, people got to have a reason to watch. If I don't see you play, it's all, oh, that's what they say? Okay. So I do think we're going to go to a 12-team playoff, BJ. BJ, it's like a tournament. It, we know how it ends, right? You got Cinderella teams in the, in the you know, in NCAA tournament. Who's going to win? A blue blood a team that's been surging every year. 
but the tournament is why you watch. Like these games are good. So why not add to it, right? Because you got 12 teams. I mean, if Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma are the best, they're going to win. But once again, BJ, about that Sun Belt. For one game, one night, and everything got to go well. Saying, what, what happens when those results aren't exactly what people are, are, are expecting? Because it's because listen, whether you SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, Sun Belt, AC, MAC, whatever, college football first, right? College football gonna win out. And BJ, ultimately, you know what we really want. The only reason why you wouldn't want Coastal Carolina to win at all is they playing Florida State. I wouldn't want another team unless they playing if they playing any other team. You want to win, but you know what's crazy? That's what me and you gonna have to work on. If we really care about college football, which we do, do you do? Could you live with? <laughs> Your team losing to a G to a G five in the natty because we never gonna hear about it, but that might be the only way the G five finally get the respect they need because all it takes is one to win it all, right, BJ? And hey, man, I'm just saying, Glory Road is one of my favorite schools of all time. Oh, University of Texas El Paso beat them Kentucky boys back in the day to win the natty. It happened a long time ago, but it's a real story. So I think BJ, I hope we get to twelve. I think we will. Because, you know, the SEC going to wear themselves out during the season. Maybe it may Arts is going to be the guy moving forward. You have one more preseason game. I don't really know how uh, uh, meaningful the, the final preseason game is, but then you'll get into the regular season. And uh, Urban Meyer talking about this, this uh, a quote, part of a quote, not the full quote, but Quote, we wanted him to earn it, as we do with every position uh, we felt he has after Monday night's performance. was It was good, obviously not great. Went on to talk about, uh, you know, when he wanted to make the decision and some of what went wrong Monday night. But do you think this quickly, we have about a minute, you think this is the right call? I think it is the right call, BJ. I think it's the only call. I think when you're thinking about a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Urban Meyer, you're doing more than just trying to win football games. You're trying to keep people interested. You're trying to re, you know, you're trying to regenerate, re-energize our BJ this fan base. And you've been hearing about Trevor Lawrence for what three years now. He's going to be the number one overall pick. You got, you got the head coach. You got the quarterback. You got to put him. You got to make sure you put him in the seat. So I think this is the only call. I just think the BJ you saw what I saw. Ain't about Trevor Lawrence. It's about this offensive line. They're going to have to find a way to get real good real fast or it's going to be a long season for that young man. And, of course, you've already had, you know, some 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 tough news with Travis Etienne. We found out yesterday has the uh, Liz Frank injury uh, with his foot, and it looks like he's going to miss the entire season, unfortunately. Trevor Lawrence, expectations? Do, do you have expectations? Do you, do you set kind of a stat standard, or is it just a week-to-week thing? No, no, expectations are high. I expect him, if he if he started week one, to be uh, the front runner for offensive rookie of the year, B.J. He still got B.J. Chark, Adam, Adam Marvin Jones. I mean, you still got LaVisca Chanel, for which, oh, my God, I think this guy is going to be a star. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, you look at what Justin Herbert did last year, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, for the Chargers, I, I, I expect uh, Trevor Lawrence to be able to put up those type of numbers. We'll come back a busy final hour. Former Georgia star Chris Burnett will join us to talk Georgia Clemson. Also, D. Orlando Ledbetter will talk Falcons. Uh, you have Josh Rosen in as the backup quarterback, potentially. So a lot to get to. Three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Team captain for the Dogs. Glad to have him on here, Chris Burnett. Chris, good afternoon. How are you? Thank you, BJ. Appreciate it, Ben. Thank you all for having me on. Good to see you all again. This is... The, the game everybody's been talking about for months. The expectations for both programs are there. 
is the preparation different when you have a season opener like this? And how do you kind of, I guess, minimize the distractions and the hype and just focus on the start of the season? Yeah, that's a great question, BJ. I, I think that you do. You kind of have to prepare a little bit differently going into a, a season where you have one of those major marquee, everyone has their eyes on the game, you know, kind of matchups at the beginning of the season. You know, if I were to rewind back to uh, 2011 and Georgia was getting ready to play Boise State, this was my redshirt sophomore year. This was actually the very first game I ever played uh, at Georgia, was injured the two years prior. Um, and it was just a different level of preparation you had to have going into that game. Um, and, and I actually, I kind of feel for those guys. You know, Ben, you could probably attest to this. So it was good to have kind of that warm-up game, get some of the kinks out, some of the nerves out. Uh, you hadn't really played meaningful football in a while. Um, but I do think that Kirby is a mastermind, and I think he's a, a great motivator. And I think he'll do a great job of having those guys prepared and ready for the first game of the season for sure. Now, Chris, people talk about going to Georgia and the pressure that come with going to the University of Georgia. I mean, we hear about the linebackers, the safeties. The, we hear about the tradition of the quarterbacks and running backs. You played on probably the, the hardest, you know, uh, thing to do at Georgia. The offensive line play at Georgia is legendary, right? Every single year, the great wall and all these different things. What is it like knowing that, look, y'all not going to get the ink in the paper because y'all just go about y'all business. But if if there is one slip up, one guy will make it so that the other five guys, the other four guys will do, they're not getting it done. What is that pressure like on yourself and as a group? Because it's all it's five guys every single play to say, look, man, I know we got a five-star quarterback, five-star running back, receivers, tight ends. But if we don't do our job, it's going to be a long season. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, for me, I honestly didn't feel any pressure at all, uh, at least not externally. It was more so for myself personally because of, like you said, we have so much talent around us. Uh, you had so many guys who could, if you just gave them a crease, could take it to the house. You know, I had the privilege of being able to block for, you know, Isaiah Crowell, Keith Marshall, Todd Gurley. And then, you know, from a quarterback position, there's not much better uh, in a college game than Aaron Murray was, you know, at Georgia. So you felt like as long as I could just not get in the way, like I almost would tell people, if you didn't know I played in the game, that means that I did a good job. Because you know how this is. The only time they bring up an offensive lineman's name is if we get a penalty or if we have a terrible block and give up a sack, <laughs> you know. So for me, my, my goal was just to make sure that I, you know, brought my, my work pair with me. Um, and that I did my job each and every time because I knew if the guys next to me could trust me, that I knew I could trust them. And, Chris, I know this year for Georgia's offensive line, you know, some injuries, some changes, uh, some guys you have to replace. How long does it take to develop that chemistry and get five guys on the same page? Great question. I, I think it mostly happens in camp, to be completely honest with you. That's where the blood, sweat, and tears comes from, and that's where the trust that guys know what to do comes from uh, I think when you're in a game the game speed makes some changes and makes you a little bit more antsy you might uh think that things are coming uh, a, a half of a second sooner than they are or half of a second later than they are when you're at the game speed but I think if you're in training camp and they prepare you well and if you take every rep in the in practice like a game rep it just makes that trust that much stronger so it even honestly probably starts in spring ball summer ball if you trust that the guy next to you actually knows the calls, knows what to do, can project when blitzes are coming, when twists may be coming, 
that you're usually able to develop that trust and that chemistry. I think the only thing I'm a little bit concerned with with this line coming in is that they are so deep. They have so many options. It's less likely for you to build some of that continuity uh, throughout that camp time period because guys are swapping in and out. You know, they're probably trying to find out who's the guy who really can play, who can really provide that push that we need. And when you have so many options, uh, you know, you have 20, 25 guys who are on scholarship, four star, five star makes it a little bit more difficult to kind of hone in on who really you can trust in. Whereas we didn't have that luxury when I was playing. I think we were about 11 or 12 deep. And, you know, we really just had to kind of lock in and make sure that we did the job. I mean, Chris, you talk about trust. You talk about being able to come together in, a, in camp. Some th- things I tell Kevin and uh, BJ all the time, instincts. When a player, look, I, look, I prepare. I know what's going to happen. I know the guy in front of me. How much easier in the game and how much funner is the game? Well, like, look, man, I'm just letting my instincts take over out here. And how much worse did that make life for the guy in front of you, even if he meets you talent threshold? Because, look, man, I'm just reacting. Now, forget playing. I'm just reacting out here. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think those instincts are what separates the good player from the great player or the average player to the good player. Because uh, you can learn everything that you need to learn. You can read, you know, all the books. You can understand analytically, oh, on, on this play, he might go uh, inside on this pass rush play, play if they bring in a blitz from the right. But if you're in the moment and you're starting to be so analytical that you're not allowing your body to actually trust your instincts, you're always going to be thinking. And I feel like if you're thinking, you can't play fast. Uh, so I feel like that's really important for those guys is to be able to develop that trust where they're in that moment and they're able to say, let me focus on what I'm doing because I can trust that my brother next to me can trust his instincts and do what he needs to do. And Clemson's defensive line has just been extraordinary for a number of years. That's that's your test right away. I mean, what's going to be the biggest key for this Georgia offensive line and this Georgia offense overall, Chris, to be able to be productive against a defense that is so good and especially so good up front? Yeah, it always starts in the trenches. And, you know, I think – the fact that they feel like they're probably solidified with Jamar Salyer at left tackle, I think will go a long way. Um, but also just having a guy who is tenured like Warren Erickson, they're playing at center, I think will be very helpful as well. You know, the guys who are making the calls, I think really make everything run, but JT having kind of his second year in the offense, his second year at Georgia, I think will be very valuable to them because more times than not the, if the, if the quarterback can catch what the offensive line may not see when it comes to blitzes, when it comes to fronts, when it comes to, you know, potential adjustments and coverage, it can just go a long way for the team at the end of the day. It will be difficult, I think, to, uh, you know, there's so many weapons across the board, you know, tight end, running back. There's, you know, there's people all over the field who can make plays. Uh, so at the end of the day, if they're doing their job in the trenches, it'll make everything work and, and it works that way in probably the best teams you see across the country year in and year out. Now, Chris, you said something that I, that I ain't never heard of offensive linemen say coming from the college level. You said I had the privilege of blocking for Marshall and, you know, when I watch Sean and, you know, when I tied Gurley. Yeah. Talk about that when you're saying, look, man, listen, I don't – because obviously that's what you hear, right? You, you go home and talk to your family and say, hey, man, is Tyre Gurley really that good? Yep, he's that good, he's that big, he's that fast. And you yeah. say, my job is just not getting away. Just talk about that to be like, dude, people would kill to have any one of these guys. We got all three of them. How much better does it make life for you knowing that, look, number one, I don't know what they say in the, I mean, in the running back meeting when they say, man, I want to run behind Chris, man. I like the way he – it's got to make me – when you feel yeah. good when those guys 
you know, come slap you on the helmet saying, Chris, man, keep doing what you're doing. Because like I said, those guys are matching what you guys are doing in the front. And you know how it is, man. I love when I watch a play from the back and everybody's if it's a, if it's a zone to the left, everybody's yeah. taking that zone yeah. step to the left, even the running backs, even the fullback. What is that about when you say I had the privilege of blocking for those guys? Yeah, man, they made me look good. Um, you know, I, DJ, I got to correct you. You said former – BJ, you said former UGA star. I wasn't a star. I just was a guy. And they made they called me All-SEC all because I had the stable of running backs behind me. Like, Todd, I remember when he came as a freshman and we're, you know, working out, summer workouts, and I see him in the in the weight room. And someone was like, oh, yeah, that's Gurley right there. And I was like, no, that's not. That's a defensive end. There's no way that's Todd Gurley. And sure enough, you know, he showed himself – to be as elite of a talent as he was someone who was eye candy on the football field. And, you know, having those guys, like you mentioned, Isaiah Crowell with Sean Ely, Caleb King, uh, CT, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you just had so many guys who were coming through and, and could make plays that your goal was really to just create a scene, especially for Todd. Todd was one of those guys who had probably superhuman level balance. I've never seen anything like it. I've seen him get hit to a point where he was, you know, pretty much horizontal to the ground and somehow stand straight back up and keep running. Um, so my goal, you know, in high school was to just road grade, try to destroy the guy in front of me, um, you know, embarrass him, et cetera. When you go to the next level, that's not always realistic. Like that's still in the back of your mind. Like I want to be aggressive. I want to embarrass them. But sometimes being a, too aggressive can get you in the way of the talent to actually make plays. So I think as I evolved and grew, I realized, like, man, it's really a privilege to have this amount of talent in the backfield. And I know not very many schools can top that because, you know, UGA is running back you, in my opinion. Oh, no doubt, Chris. And you think about the offensive linemen. As we're chatting with Chris Burnett, former Georgia star, former all-SEC guard, and a former team captain for the Dogs. Uh, you know, you think about Georgia, and I understand, obviously, the passing game, the production is going to be there. But you think about physical play at the line of scrimmage. You think about winning at the point of attack. Even even though you do have a great quarterback and you do have playmakers, how important is it going to be to still win in the trenches when it matters? Oh, it, it's always important. Uh, a rule that my dad taught me, because he was actually my first football coach in sixth grade, was that you want to set the tone. He's like, do not let that first play go by without you letting that person in front of you know that you're there. And I think that rule exists at every level of football, uh, from Pop Warner all the way to the NFL. If you don't set the tone and let the guy know, like, you're going to have to deal with me all day, day long. It's a game of matchups. It's a game of one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, matchups that kind of all come together and coalesce. And I think if you're not able to set that tone in the trenches, it would it would really make its way known in the backfield as well. Like, to rewind to, I think, 2012, we were playing South Carolina. It was a night game. Everyone's going crazy. I think we're both top five, top ten teams in the country. You know, they have Jadavion Clowney and et cetera, et cetera, on their defensive line. And they set the tone on the first play. Like, I'll be honest with you, they brought it to us on the first play, and we wound up losing 35 to 7. Uh, so it just lets you know in those moments that if you don't come prepared to set the tone in the trenches, it doesn't matter how much talent you have on the edges, on the outside, and the skill positions, as they call them, uh, you're not going to be able to win the game, in my opinion at least. And Chris, you know, I was blessed enough to play, you know, back in the day. And it's a feeling, right? Like people ask, what, what is that feeling like? Like, 
describe it. Like, you know, you, you're, getting, you, you're getting ready for South Carolina. Before the game ever kicks off, you're in the locker room. You, you know, you're going over certain plays. You're putting on your eye black. You get, you know, you, you're making sure you look good. And you run out there and you realize we are filling stadiums, 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 people with 17, 18, 19, 21, 22 years old. And that first play, like, for me, that first play is different because when you break the huddle, the defense is standing there. My coach used to tell us, look him in his eyes. Like, because you notice the uh-huh. D-line is not going to get down until you get down. He won't get down to the stands. What is that when you look across and say, because, look, I can say this. I got to go up against David Pollard. I got to go yeah. against Charles Grant, Kendrell Bell. So I didn't get a lot of sleep, you know, when I was in college. So <laughs> it's one of those things to where I want to see him. Like, sometimes I want to see him. It's like, because I can't, I, you know, so what is that feeling like when you look at him and say, all right, he the one I've been hearing about. He the one I know about. Because what you really, what you, the reason why you look in his eyes is he wants to see you too. Like, oh, I've had that go Chris Burnett. I've heard yeah, that. Right. I disagree. First team all SEC, man, you earned that, man. They don't they don't just be giving those out these days, man. I, I appreciate it, man. You know, I know you played in really what I would consider the golden era of SEC football. Like that's when I fell in love with college football. I know you were at Florida. So I was always rooting against you, but that's when I fell in <laughs> love with Georgia. Uh, but man, I would say in those moments, like you said, it, it was really like this a man moment. Like you had to almost let your pride show itself uh, in those moments. And there were so many guys that I went against that were just elite talent. There were better talents than me. You know, Michael Brockers at LSU, uh, uh, Dominique Easley and Sharif Floyd at Florida, um, you know, Sheldon Richardson at Missouri. You know, and he called us out specifically. He said, Georgia plays old man football and he's lined up against me. So you have to go into that game and kind of take it personally. Honestly, I know that's the MJ moniker. He would always say, he's like, man, if, if someone said something about him, he would even create a story to take it personally. And I feel like I did something similar. Um, I would just create that kind of controlled rage that you needed in order to set the tone well, especially when you're going against those elite talents because, you know, they have the same goal in mind. Like they want to embarrass you probably. They want to make plays. They want to get the opportunity to to win the game for their team. Um, and if you don't go in with that same kind of personal, like he's really trying to embarrass me mindset, uh, you almost will always lose. At least that's that's how I would get myself prepared. Great perspective from Chris Burnett here on Three and Out, talking Georgia, talking Georgia Clemson. Chris, thank you so much for the time. We'll definitely do it again soon. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thank you, brothers. Chris Burnett and uh, talking Georgia Clemson. Ben, we'll have a real game to talk about with the dogs soon enough. We'll come back with more Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network football for this season okay you have a lot of turnover at the quarterback position a lot of new quarterbacks you have the extra year uh, of, of eligibility for for seniors and players you have I think more of an appreciation for the for the group of five uh, where I think in the past people have just said oh there's no chance now I think maybe Cincinnati potentially could play their way into the national conversation uh, Christian put in the show notes I think it's a very good question could we be in for the wackiest year in college football since 2007 when LSU lost to Kentucky and Arkansas and still won the national championship? And when they lost to, to Arkansas, that was the last game of the regular season, and they still won the national title. So given that we got a lot of new quarterbacks, mm-hmm. all, all the questions, is it going to be the same old teams, or, or, or could it get a little different? I, I think it is going to be a little different, BJ. I, the, the biggest factor is, okay, the, the, the climate that we're in, with with this vaccine, no vaccine, you know, COVID-19 climate, BJ. Think about this. 
I think it's going to be more how Georgia Southern had to deal with playing Campbell the first game, and they have a limited capacity of players. Because you know they're going to – like what makes games better is when everybody on the roster is a focal point. You a starter. So just say a starter get hurt, next man up. But what if a starter can't play because they came in close? Everybody has to be ready. So that's going to make for wackiness. But, BJ, isn't that, why, isn't that what we really want? Like you kind of want wackiness because – in a sense, man, I don't want this. I, look, I already know how the ending of this movie is, right? But I still want to watch. So I do think it's going to be wacky, BJ. And the thing about it is, is we only talking about the teams that have a shot, right? We only talking about them eight to ten teams we think got a shot. With Iowa State kind of being new to the party, BJ. But this is the thing. It's good quarterbacking all over this year. That kid Slovis out there at USC, he's a good freaking quarterback. Like, So you got good quarterback. You got the kid. You got the kid in Minnesota. Good quarterback. So the quarterback in this year is kind of spread out in all the conferences. But we have to know about the, you know, with the Spencer Rattlers, the Sam Howells, the De'Aaron Kings, the Bryce Youngs. Who can, who can, who can, who can add their name to that list? Because I, I give you a name, <clears throat> Kyle Trask. Going into twenty twenty, nobody thought that he was going to do that. Not even me. So. We are a quarterback. We are a – I love it now. I'll take it. But, but BJ, the quarterbacks are always going to be the easy, the easy names to remember, right? But I'm telling you, BJ, if we if, – if, you know, could we have a Utah State type, you know, type quarterback out there this year that can kind of add some sauce to it? I'm looking forward to it. But I'm like you, BJ. I know deep down inside, outside of the team we root for, we kind of want something new, don't we? Like, don't we want something new because – I'm not taking nothing away from the Alabamas of the world. I'm not saying that, but I know. Right, well, 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 let me ask you this first, because because Kevin used to say this a lot, and 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 I think he I think he really means it, but I think sometimes people say it, and I just like to ask him because I think Alabama and Ohio State, Clemson and Oklahoma, you know, you may get tired of seeing the same matchups, but they're still programs that everybody you know knows the history of, you know, knows the players guys that are going on to the National Football League. And I, I do think it would be good to have some variety. But I, just do, do you think the same hype and attention would be there? I'm just asking if it's Alabama versus Clemson compared to, let's say, it's Iowa State and North Carolina in a semifinal. Yes, because, BJ, because the thing about it is this. You have to go research. That's what the NCAA tournament is, right? There are teams – that go farther than you thought, and you, you hopefully they ain't bust your bracket. That you got to go. Some teams you got to go and research a little bit. And BJ, this is the thing. But and somebody gonna say, well, they got to be pretty good, right? That they won the last fourteen standings. So you go back and look who they played, look who their coaches are. So yes, BJ, the thing about college football, it's already the prestige is already there. I know we think we know how it's gonna look, but TCU and Baylor did nothing to not make it. They didn't do anything. They just dropped. So I, I, if Iowa State makes it in, well, go back to the preseason. They've been talking about Iowa State since 2019, 2020, as far as like this team. You talk about Sam Howell, that's going to force them to say, dude, do you know what he did his true freshman year? That forces them to go back and see what their resume is. So, yeah, BJ, we just expect it, right? It's like when Clemson and, and uh, Alabama lose, we go, who did they play? Because they don't, they don't lose a lot. But when you get new when you get new guys to the party, BJ, I think it makes college football show you just how much even it is, especially with all this alliance this and all this other kind of stuff. We could be getting ready for what's going what, what's coming compared to what is. But yeah, I, I I love variety, man. I mean, I you know, at the same time, it's all about trying new things now and again, BJ. I know we're getting older, we're getting stuck in our ways, but 
just because we never had it don't mean it ain't it ain't good. So Iowa State, North Carolina, Miami, Cincinnati, you got some teams that can break it to it. And BJ, that might be all it takes. If Cincinnati breaks into that top four, that might be all you know. Say an entire conference had to do to, uh, to, to kind of start getting some love because Purdy, quarterback, man, quarterbacking is the one thing, BJ. But Cincinnati got a cornerback. I don't think he's given up a freaking touchdown in two years. Could you imagine if he went to LSU? Oh my god! So all I'm saying is the talent is across the board. The only, but the only reason why we're gonna have a, a reason to watch teams not in norm is when they do something abnormal. And I think, I think you got a shot to see some of that this year. The point Christian made uh, uh, in the show meeting in the notes, I think, is I think is a an important one for this this season where Cincinnati might be that team that has a chance. And I know people will say, come on, Central Florida didn't get close. Coastal Carolina didn't get close. You know, there's always uh, Memphis. You know, there's always a G5 team, but, but they're not going to get into the playoff. I think the perception, as we talked about earlier in the show, is starting to change. And even though they lost, I think that Cincinnati-Georgia game last year, the Peach Bowl, really showed a lot of people that, hey, Cincinnati, I mean, they controlled that game for the for, for the most part. And credit Georgia for coming back and late field goal. But I think that, that, that Cincinnati proved itself. And I'm not saying there are moral victories, but you went toe-to-toe with an SEC superpower, and you couple that with the wins they have had, the success they have had, and there's a reason Cincinnati's a, what, top eight team in the preseason? And normally, teams like Cincinnati start out, you know, 16, 17, 18. You're number eight or nine in the country. You play Indiana, you beat Indiana, you play Notre Dame, you beat Notre Dame, and you have a resume. I think right now Notre Dame's in the top 10, Indiana's in the top 20 that has that, plus a win over UCF, plus a win over Memphis, Navy, you know, the 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 act schedule. I think there's a chance Cincinnati is the X factor, and it will be well-deserved. So keep an eye on the Bearcats, and could they make a run at the college football playoff? We'll come back. We'll talk Falcons next. The Orlando Ledbetter, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. New quarterback with A.J. McCarron out due to injury. They go out and sign Josh Rosen to uh, back up Matt Ryan. And with us now to talk about that, talk Falcons. D. Orlando Ledbetter from the AJC. Daryl, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming on. So tell us about Josh Rosen, uh, a guy who was a first-round pick not long ago, uh, kind of what the expectations are and how he fits. Well, they're going to let him uh, play on Sunday. They're going to try to get him a package to get him out there and see what he's got. You know, they're in the quarterback up quarterback market. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, if he can do it, he'll have a shot at the job. But we fully expect him to uh, look at the cuts and maybe uh, pick up another quarterback that's probably been in Arthur Smith's system a little bit longer. But he's got an opportunity here to show uh, – you know, if it's not the Falcons, then other teams in the NFL, what he can do uh, on Sunday night on, on national TV. And the Orlando, for this, for this Falcons team, is always the same thing. You kind of know what you're going to get from the offense because you got Matty Ice at the helm. How much progress has this defense made? You know you got a very, very young team, a very, very young secondary. What what uh, what what uh, skill group has uh, stood out on the defensive side? Yeah, on the defensive side, we've seen uh, – uh, then Blitz, we saw the um, four sacks against Tennessee and uh, saw the safety blitz and so forth. So those are the things that um, they're going to have to do to generate a pass rush. Uh, and so if the backups know it good enough to execute in the game, we've got to assume the starters do also. 
Uh, and, you know, they, they, uh, they're going to have to, to do that. They don't have a, a John Abraham or anybody to uh, go out and get a for sure double-digit sack. Uh, maybe Dante Fowler can get there and do it this year, but uh, it's going to be a collective effort, and so far it looks pretty good. We're going to talk to Dean Pease tomorrow uh, to get an update on how everything's going with that installation. I was going to say, you know, you've seen some production from the front line, and, and, and you're obviously right. It has been a talking point for a number of years. Are the expectations higher for the defensive front and the defensive line this season? Yeah, I think so because um, they look a little bit sturdier uh, in, in uh, practice against the Dolphins. And in uh, practice, you know, when you put Buller, Grady Jarrett, and Tyler Davidson together in the middle of that 3-4, that's a lot to move around for, for the opponent. So, uh, Buller's been a steady pro, and he's getting an opportunity here. Normally, they would have want that person to be uh, – Marlon Davidson, but he's got a left knee injury that's, uh, you know, going to be problematic for him probably for the rest of his career. So he's probably a rotation player only. There, a guy, a guy that, you know, I mean, ever since he's got his contract extension, really haven't been, uh, you know, really hasn't been the same player. I don't know if it was because of a different scheme, uh, new coaching staff. Deion Jones, Debo, I mean, he was a guy, I mean, coming out of LSU, I mean, burst on the scenes, I mean, just a tackling machine. How has he looked, and is he getting back to kind of like some of that old uh, Debo we've seen in the past? Uh, yeah, but a little bit, uh, you know, they're gonna, he's going to be able to cover back out of the backfield and, and so forth, and those big guys are going to keep the blockers off of him. So, uh, you know, he, he should be fine here in this defensive scheme. Uh, traditionally, so Dean Pease is one of those big thumper linebackers, and you know that fits more to Fole Olakon and Mikael Walker's uh, uh, you know build. So we'll see if he's able to you know hold on and play this three four, or if he's just going to be a third down backer uh, moving forward, covering guys out of the backfield. But uh, you know Dion looks pretty good in camp so far. On the other side of the ball, as we're chatting with D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, the offensive line, is there is there confidence in, in that group, or uh, is there still some work to be done? Yeah, still some work to be done uh, on the, on the uh, positive side. Uh, Matt Hennessy looks like a winner at center. Uh, Matt Ryan spoke about him today and spoke very highly of how he's uh, taken over that position and uh, they should be very good in, in that bit. Now, right tackle still a problem with Caleb McGarry out there coming back from a knee injury. And uh, left guard is a problem where you got Josh Andrews, a veteran, um, you know, running with the first team and rotating with Jalen Mayfield, a rookie, who, uh, you know, is going to probably be that left guard uh, at some point during the season. Darrell, I mean, how has Mike Davis looked? I know when you talk about this offense, it's always been about can they find a running back? Can they find a three-down back that can definitely still pick up the blitz, that can catch the ball out the back? But kind of like a do-it-all running back, not comparing him to anybody. But how has Mike Davis looked in camp? Uh, Mike looked great. Uh, ben, he's uh, you know, cutting good, doing a, uh, uh, you know, a good job of catching the ball out of the backfield. He showed what he could do last year. Uh, F. Healthy in Carolina by filling in for McCaffrey and going over 1,000 with uh, Teddy Bridgewater throwing him the ball. So uh, he can definitely be a weapon in this offense. you got to remember that the Shanahan offense doesn't rely on uh, – you don't have to be Derrick Henry in this offense. 
No, Alfred Morris got 1,600 yards three years in a row in this offense. So, uh, you know, D'Amico, uh, Ryan, when he was uh, Ryan, when he was um, with the Titans, he uh, ran for it pretty good. The old Oklahoma back that came out to play with Dallas for a little while. But, um, yeah, so Mike Davis should be just fine what the Falcons are trying to do offensively. Kyle Pitts, obviously the expectations are, 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 are super high. This is a guy that can do it all. Uh, what has impressed you most about him just, just as he gets ready for the start of the season? Yeah, I think they're doing him a disservice by not letting him play. Um, you know, uh, they look great in practice going against the uh, you know, backups and the reserves and so forth. Uh, down in Miami last week, Eric Rowe kind of, you know, locked him up a little bit. So he's not used to NFL contact and NFL safety, you know, the guys he's going to be seeing on a regular basis. So it would have been, you know, probably uh, a little bit smarter to play him. You know, everybody else is playing their rookies. Pittsburgh's playing Najee and so forth. Justin Fields is playing. Uh, Trent Lance is playing. But the Falcons, for some reason, have decided not to play Pitt. So, um, you know, that's going to hurt him in the long run, I believe, because it's going to make his adjustment period in season longer. Yeah, and even sticking with that adjustment period, uh, you know, Daryl, I mean, you, you talked about it. These safeties, they, they see the tape. They know how tall he is. They know how fast and long he is. And they know that one thing they can use against him is physicality. They're not going to let him just get free releases and just, you know, trying to chase him down the field. The adjustment process, as you mentioned, how much is Arthur Smith them really not understanding that, look, man, you can't be treating this dude like he's a quarterback. I mean, these quarterbacks that you mentioned out there uh, practicing, why do you think they're not allowing him to play? I mean, not allowing him to play in the preseason to think he's going to be ready for the for day one or for or for game one, I mean? Yeah, I, um, I wrote that story. It's up on AJC.com right now. Arthur's telling us that, you know, practice is just as good as the games. They didn't need the games last year when they went. Uh, you know, from COVID straight to the season, you know, a bunch of, um, you know, kind of new sounding, new school um, mentality. But, you know, I haven't seen people get ready for the season without without playing the game. So uh, they, they, they were throwing out, well, hey, in high school, we didn't have any games before the games. And in college, there's no exhibition games. You just go and play. So, um, I mean, they're going to that right now. That's what they're telling us. Uh, but, you know, I, there's no uh, replacement for practicing and no replacement for getting in real game situation. But they're trying to do that, and we'll see how it works out for them. I understand the Browns not doing it. They almost won the AFC Championship last year. But this is a 4-12 and team. They don't need to be sitting anybody. D. Orlando Ledbetter does a great job covering the Falcons for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, AJC.com. Hey, Daryl, thanks so much for the time, as always. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me. Ben, you obviously have a unique perspective on, you know, the transition Kyle Pitts is is going through. The expectations are there. Uh, Is this something where, to Daryl's point, do you learn a lot from from preseason opportunities when you're a rookie? And, uh, you know, could this not be a great thing for Kyle that he's not out there a bunch? I mean, you you hope it's not. You hope it doesn't work against him, BJ. But it goes back to what Daryl said about, uh, you know, Arthur Smith saying that you know he didn't have it in high school, he didn't have it in college. That's not a good, that's not a good analogy. I mean, because nobody had those things, and they still had to adjust to what the NFL does. And then you go down to Miami, and he's getting, and he's getting, you know, uh, you know, uh, guys are really getting their hands on him. Look, the goal is how do you adjust to the NFL game, not just game in and game out, day in 
and day out. You got to know what teams want to do to you. You got to know how players want to play against you. You got to know how they want to take away your technique. And the one thing that uh, the one thing that they're gonna to try to take away from Kyle Pitts is how explosive he is. How do you, you know, how do you how do you slow him down by being physical with him? If Kyle Pitts isn't making the impact that they want to make, because once again, you know, BJ, he's gonna be compared to Julio no matter what. There's nothing he can do about that. So. I just think if you're getting rid of number number 11 for number eight, number eight going to have to pay dividends sooner rather than later, BJ, because if he's out there getting, uh, you know, I mean, if, he, if he's out there and guys locking him up and they ain't all pros, they ain't Tyron Matthew and them guys and Jamal Adams, people are going to be saying what happened. So, Arthur Smith, I have to trust what you're doing, but you might be doing your rookie a disservice, a.k.a. Jamar Chase in Cincinnati. Look, he's playing and he's realizing that the, that the NFL game is far different than, than, than the college game. And on the other, uh, uh, the other big talking point with the Falcons, Josh Rosen coming in, former former what top twelve, top ten ish pick, uh, big time college career at UCLA, has been with a couple of teams, hasn't been able to hasn't been able to stick. Uh, do you think he could be the guy? Darrell said maybe they look at some other cuts, maybe they look and see who's on the market. Do you think there's confidence in in Josh Rosen, or given what we've seen the last couple of years, are you going to have to see him come out and play well in this third preseason game? Yeah, I mean, Josh Rosen kind of got all the, you know, cards stacked against the BJ. I mean, because people forget, <clears throat> I got to come in, learn the plays, learn the terminology, go out there and play a full game to, to for my, really for my, uh, for my NFL future. Josh Rosen, I mean, he's, it's the curious case of Josh Rosen. He got, he got sent away from Arizona because they got a new coach that wanted to finally say, I, I get to, I get to uh, have uh, reunited with uh, Aaron Murray. But I, I mean, I, I just, I just, I just think that, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, Kyler Murray, but I just think that BJ, when you when you looking at a guy like Josh Rosen, he's good enough, right? But it's the system, and he's not going to ask do much. But I think for him, BJ, he's trying to play for his NFL future because, and I hope he thinks this way. He's planning to be a backup when he was drafted to be a starter, and he's already only what fifteen in four years. Humility has taken over this young man. I just hope he has to take it away from his confidence and his talent, because that's the only way he's going to survive out there. NFL news, uh, and we mentioned uh, earlier today, Trevor Lawrence has been named the starting quarterback. Speaking of quarterbacks uh, in Jacksonville, we'll come back, talk about that. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Right now over Philadelphia, and the Phillies, of course, are playing the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, who have the second best record in all of baseball. So go Rays. And uh, the Braves could add another half game to their to their lead tonight. But talking about the NFL news, the Falcons signing Josh Rosen. We'll see what happens there. Urban Meyer today saying Trevor Lawrence, my number one quarterback. He's the starter. Uh, was not a fantastic showing just offensively overall against New Orleans on Monday night, Ben. But you did see the the you know the arm talent. You did see the mobility. Although you, I, I don't know that you want to be scrambling into hits like the ones he took, but. Clearly, the talent, the ability is there, and Urban Meyer deciding Trevor Lawrence, our guy now. Trevor Lawrence, BJ, will be the easiest decision Urban Meyer will ever make as an NFL head coach. That will be the easiest decision he's ever going to make. I will say this about Trevor Lawrence: <clears throat> sometimes you don't trying to prove yourself to your teammates will get you in trouble. Sometimes you're trying to prove your toughness too much. Pulling the ball down, running in the NFL, it's not the same as college. The NFL, them guys know where to hit you. Them guys know how to hit you. And, the, and, and most of the time, guys don't get up. The reason why quarterbacks get hurt quicker than anybody else, they're the only player that gets hit once a week. You do not touch them Monday through Saturday. They only get hit on one day. So 
I think that BJ, listen, you obviously being a Jags fan, you should be very, very excited about Trevor Lawrence. Every quarterback has learned how to slide, has learned how to throw the ball away, and you got to know when – I mean, you got to know when the journey is over. You're not going to make any friends trying to run over defensive players. I don't care if you outweigh him. I don't care if you're taller than him. You know, uh, slot corners, they have to tackle Derrick Henry for a living. You think they're scared of you? So all I'm saying is know when the journey is over. Trevor Lawrence is going to be the guy. And, BJ, y'all got a good problem. And y'all good problem, you know, uh, you know, is y'all freaking backup. I, I I just think that I know that sometimes, you know, we think about – I mean, I, how does Gardner Minshew take this? The starter all last year had some – I mean, this is this is tough for him, but, I mean, I, what what what's his response? Be, be a pro. Uh, he, he knows how to take it. I mean, BJ, he was he's never – think about this. When's, when's, when's the last time Gardner Minshew was the first choice? Wasn't the first choice coming out of high school, had to transfer when he went to college? Wasn't the first choice when he got drafted? But he's always ready. So they tell him, Gardner, listen, the greatest thing you can do is be a mentor to that young guy and be ready, which he's going to be because at the end of the day, he's still getting paid to be an NFL quarterback, BJ. He just got to play earlier than we thought he would. So Gardner is a good problem to have because – if if Trevor struggles, you could just put Gardner in, and Trevor still has a chance to come back there in the regular se- in the regular season. But uh, hey man, the season is here. This three preseason thing game thing is working. But you see the inner squad scrimmages. That's what you're gonna see more teams using to get that kind of like uh, game uh, game type atmosphere. But yeah, BJ Gardner knew he wasn't gonna be the starter, and unfortunately, it wasn't gonna matter how Gardner Minshew played because Trevor Lawrence is gonna be the starter as long as he was uh, as long as he wasn't hurt. So that's the news there out of Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence, the number one quarterback. I want to thank Ben Ingram of the Atlanta Braves Radio Network for joining us today. Chris Burnett talking Georgia. I mean, Georgia Clemson, we've been talking about it for months. We've been, I mean, it, it, it's almost here. I'm ready. I mean, we've look, every angle, every possible matchup, I'm ready for that. Uh, I want to thank uh, D. Orlando Ledbetter and, and Mark Bradley from the AJC as well. But I'm ready. Are you emotionally ready to handle Florida football? It's back. Are you 30 seconds? Are you ready? I am not ready, BJ. I'm just like you. I'm, listen, I'm counting down days. I'm counting down the minutes. And listen, I'm going to do what I always do. They're going to say, uh, and right before they kick the ball off, I'm going to turn the TV off. I'm not watching it. Can't handle it. Can't deal with it. We'll see you tomorrow, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Again, Braves off tonight, Braves off tomorrow. And if you're paying attention to the standings, you want the Rays to beat the Phillies. We can get back up to five games for Atlanta in the National League East. We'll see you tomorrow, three and out, ESPNCoastal.com.